Hello, hello world. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got a, I've got the rig, and it can barely hold the weight of this ridiculous lens. So, yeah, if it, if I suddenly slide upwards, you'll know what's happening. I've just had the realization that. There, you can all hear me. Gary, there we are. So everyone missed the chat anyway, so you could hear me, but everyone in the audience couldn't hear me. Uh, hello, sorry, Gary's here laughing. I was saying things, none of you could hear them. Hello, that was fun for the audio-only people. Just radio silence and then Gary laughing with no one else in the background. <laughs> there we are. Sorry, it's 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 OBS deciding it's going to switch. No one cares. So, hello, good evening, everyone. Um, People are there, yes. Everyone's saying I'm muted. No, they're 10 seconds behind, so they've got the, 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 the catch-up. It's fine, we're back, everyone. Oh, I was just saying nice setup and then talking about your DSLR uh, and no one could hear that, but they've got, hopefully they got it from context. Anyway, right, I'm going to stop waffling because we've got quite a bit to get through tonight, actually. Uh, firstly, Gary, thanks for joining us um, to talk about, I mean, also congratulations on having two editions of the book appearing fairly, in fairly, well, in terms of the digital and then the physical edition. Are yeah, yeah, I've never put them this close together so uh, yeah, before, so it was a bit, bit, bit. My my nail biting didn't go well for a couple of weeks, but I got back on top of it now. <laughs> oh golly! Um, so I'm going to switch back to here, and then I'm going to press this button because, as is traditional on Rail Natters, I don't know. I don't know. You're a busy man, and hopefully you don't waste your time watching things like Rail Natter. But we have generally been keeping a keeping a tabs on the the the, the public transport situation in terms of ridership uh, through the the COVID crisis. And it's always quite interesting to sort of follow what's been going on. So if I go over here, uh, so these are the latest figures as of this morning. It's useful that the DFT update the figures every Wednesday. So we get them fresh off the uh, fresh off the production line. Um, and the only trouble <coughs> is that the for some reason, well, for various reasons, rail is a week behind in its cleaned data set. So we always have to deal with this weird dotty thing, which you can see over time. The dotty thing is always an underestimate of the real figures. Um, so anyway, so rail is sort of, it's still above this dashed line, which is good because this dashed line, we always want it to be above this, which is reaching 75% by the end of the year. Bus services have jumped right upwards again. So their bus services are kind of sitting around the 78, 79% mark actually now. Road vehicles bouncing around above the 100% mark. Uh, cycling is sadly, you'd have hoped that cycling would have leapt upwards and would be sort of sitting mm -hmm. up here the whole time. But sadly, cycling has basically been no is no better than it was pre-covid these days probably because all the road vehicles exactly yeah yeah that was the most interesting the most interesting graph is, is the other one actually showing the national is showing the direct or rather the inverse relationship between these two lines the green and the red one mm -hmm. it's like generally the lower that that road is the higher that the the cycling one is but anyway so uh, and yeah rail sort of bouncing along it continues to climb i, I think we're going to see a yeah there's there's nothing to, to no reason for that climb to, to stop anytime soon we are looking for an asymptote this is the thing. So we are, we are looking for the point where we're going to hit an asymptote. So we reached, we sort of reached a peak of about 77, 78%. And, um, and we're kind of waiting for this 
asymptote of like, okay, at what point are we still are we going to have had this mm. kind of longer term reduction in in commuter traffic? Because we might have London? a you might have a leisure peak over July August, and then it might drop, and then but then you might still get back on the trend line upwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. So, so it's interesting to. So this is all relative. So, it, so, so this, it should account for that that surge in leisure right. travel seasonally because it's related. Of course, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. relative rather yeah. than absolute. But yeah, there's still this. Anyway, it's always quite interesting to look at this. So, mm. um, yeah, I'll. Uh, thoughts are always welcome. Also, for for anyone new to the to the to the stream, uh, if you at me in with uh, hello, Jermaine, if you at me in, my name appears red, and it makes it very easy for me to spot your questions for Gary. So, um, do send them in. Right, uh, the news. Um, the Northern Line extension has happened. Here's Battersea Power Station station uh, with its uh, with Battersea with with the most important feature here uh, over here hidden behind the SimCity stuff. Um, yes, but it's a bit of an opportunity missed, frankly. Okay, it's great that there's a, a small short extension to the Northern Line that's taken a long time to deliver. But as Alan uh, from Alan's tweets pointed out uh, from Transport for All, there are lots of accessibility problems. And these are the sorts of accessibility problems that, I, that I'm used to network rail stations having 10, 15 years ago before the um, the BEEP, the BAAP, the um, accessibility panel um, came into being. And actually, network rail are quite good at this. You know, they mock it up. They lay it out with duct tape on the ground or they uh, create a wooden mock-up for kind of key pinch points. And so this is an example of a really bad bit of accessibility design. The lift is too small for Alan to rotate his pretty small motorized wheelchair here. So Alan has to reverse out of a, of a lift. Also, it, there's this weird long corridor bit that means that by the time Alan has gone, by the time he's gone through here, the doors have half closed. It's, it's just, it's, there are lots of things like that. And things like the, the help point back here, this, I picked this picture because there's a lot in it. This help point is too high for Alan to reach. Like these are really fundamental things. And the problem with underground stations is that these are big time locked in. At least with a, a, a station above ground, you can generally resolve some of these things without eye-watering expense. These things are going to be locked in for a generation. It's really disappointing. So for all the engineers out there or the planners or the people involved in this or people who are advocates for new public transport or if you're fans of the underground, as, you know, as, as we all are, make sure that you push people on this, push the people in power on this so that they know that they need to be doing a better job on accessibility. It's really disappointing. Um, what else is in the news? Oh, yeah, the Transport for the North conference. I haven't tweeted about this yet. Sorry, uh, sorry, Gemma. Um, I, I, I was supposed to tweet more about this probably, but I didn't because I was very busy with actual day job stuff. So I went, <coughs> watched, made lots of notes. Um, Gary, they didn't talk much about electrification, I'm afraid. Uh, really? Yeah, I know. But I think, that it, I think it's because there's a lot of... The ideas were on bigger ticket items. There, there was discussion of the fact they want to push electrification and, and wanted to mm. do that, but there wasn't much on the future. They were talking about the big ticket items a lot. Um, lots of big talk, but it's all basically it's all totally uncertain based on whether um, you know what's going to come out of the spending review in October and then what's going to be in the uh, in the um, the IRP, the Integrated Rail Plan. Everyone's waiting for that. Yet again, it's another big report that got, that the industry is waiting for and isn't able to do anything until it's published. So it kind of feels like this has been a pattern for the last sort of decade now. Oof. Anyway, um, more on that later. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's the end of the news. I'll be glad to hear. Other than, other than, look, the this is the latest. This is a photo I took about two hours ago of the latest Rail magazine because it's relevant. I always like to have a relevant news-ish article before we uh, go into the go into the into, into the into the episode. And if I get large faces up, hello, Gary, you're back. This is the latest Rail magazine just released, and. Uh, Gary, you know about this because I asked you about this article absolutely blinking ages ago, and it's not been published for a while. Partly because I haven't finished it. 
Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I don't remember now. Yeah, um, but there's a piece on hydrogen trains, page 30, and I'm talking about why on earth we aren't, we don't have hydrogen trains carrying passengers yet. Look, there's, there's the article. I'm going to wave it around so you can't read it. Look, they buy it off the shelves. It's on shelves now. Um, but it's relevant because I point out that the answer is still electrification. And generally, I point out that the hydrogen advocates also say that. So I'm pleased that generally, you know, mm. the um, you know, Porterbrook and, 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 and whoever else is involved in in the you know and and Alstom as well who are leading the charge on the other the two main competitors for hydrogen trains they're both saying no no this isn't this is a compromise yeah. it's a messy compromise but it's a necessary messy compromise so um uh, hopefully that's well worth a read go go and read that anyway enough of that um more importantly uh it's time for me to uh to, to basically kick off the show Gary we'll be back with you in in seconds sadly you won't be able to hear either the engine but everyone else will because um it's time to welcome all to tonight's rail natter. <laughs> fades out and the intercity 225 also fades out uh we're going for a meaner through the uh the OLE book <laughs> mind. Uh, i wasn't going to say anything <laughs> no it's uh shonky is the way sadly but never mind uh yeah no uh, gary it's an absolute pleasure to to have you uh on the show pleasure tonight. To be here. um for anyone who doesn't know gary gary quick introduction who are you and why is your book behind me over here um who am i um i'm a i'm a railway engineer i've uh spent well, 30 years so far in my career um, working on electrification, mostly coming out of a sort of a design point of view. I've worked for, um, started off at British Rail actually, um, just before they ceased to exist. Um, then went to work for a variety of companies and I've now ended up uh, back at Atkins. Uh, and uh, yeah, working on a mix of major electrification schemes but also sort of research and development type stuff you know looking at cost reduction techniques and yeah that's that's what i do and um yeah and at some point i ended up writing a book by accident i wrote a book by mistake the first physical edition is down is down behind me um which uh i don't know what to, what am i going to do with it when i get the new one i, I like Am I going to am I going to collect them up like the uh, like the British Railway Track uh, books? They don't put it on eBay because they'll be a glut. You'll get you'll get <laughs> yeah, like one ninety nine for it. Nothing. There's so many of them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll get to that. Maybe I'll maybe I'll send it on to someone in the Discord server for uh, a budding electrification engineer. Well, don't yeah, read, don't, don't get it because it's all wrong presumably because the new one is is out and and, and augments it. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I'm glad you touched on the R and D point because that was the, the last episode, wasn't it? It was, it was making electrification mm-hmm. stick. And yeah, you talked yeah. about some of these developments that have been happening. The fact that as a, as, as a discipline, electrification engineering isn't standing still. Um, nice. So that's it's well. I should have put the, the title card up for that one. Anyway, go and watch it, folks. After this one, because it was quite good. If you missed, if you haven't seen that one, um, so yeah. Without further ado, I'm going to go back to the uh, back to the, the slides because, and we're going to get both of our miniaturized faces up in the top corner. We're slightly covering the the Arthur, uh, Arthur, We're covering your cover slightly, blocking it. Um, here's the cover for the. This is the cover for the print edition. Yes. Of the book, right? Um, yeah. And. It looks very, it, it looks very snazzy. Um, it's fantastic, isn't it? I say Arters did a great job on it, and I'm really, really, really pleased with it. Uh, obviously, that's the whole cover, so you kind of have to mentally wrap it. I keep, I keep meaning to yeah, yeah, fire it's... up some kind of CAD package and turn it into a, some kind of simulation, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but life's too short to be honest. But uh, yeah, it's, it, 
you know, um, looking forward to seeing it in the flesh. Yeah, it's um, yeah, me too. I'm very much looking forward to it, and and we'll get to it before, in case I forget, because I haven't put a slide up for it, but it's in the description. Uh, is for uh, the Kickstarter for actually going and buying this book. It is in the description. Is in the YouTube. Uh, the, the link is in the YouTube description, so go into that. But actually, what's nice about this is I didn't have to prepare any slides because basically this is the slide because it's going to be one of our traditional kind of uh, PDF page turns, actually, this one, because we're going to bring up... Well, how would you like to do it, in fact, Gary? We can do... We, should we bring up the, uh, the, the, the downloadable version and then kind of yeah, go through yeah. that and you can talk us through... Talk yeah, us through we'll the book through that, yeah. Updated. So, um, so here is, here is the, the print cover. It's print-friendly. For those who want to download it and print it, I wouldn't recommend that. By the time you've by the time you've bought the printer, got it working, and wasted all the paper and ink, you might as well just it's, go for the It's strange because obviously when I did the fifth edition, the sort of I assumed that a lot of people would be printing it at work, you know, using the office printer, and that wouldn't be a problem. But we're in we're in very different times now, so yeah. uh, quite how people are going about it, I don't know. Um, uh, Hopefully it's not. Uh, hopefully you're not burning through too many inkjet cartridges. But uh... yeah, that's, yeah. It's the last thing you want to do is print this much uh, at home. Anyway, so there's the cover, and um, well, essentially prod me, and I shall go through it. So, so you've got mm. a nice little arter. I arter got a nice little uh, nod there, and then there's the standard version details and stuff. It's all very good. And then and then the mighty table of contents. Yeah, um, which is getting. Bigger by the day, because which we'll talk about a bit later. But. Yeah, good grief. I know, right? So basically, just stop me when you've got something you want to talk through. Yeah, well, we were, I was going to maybe, what I was thinking to do was just highlight, not go through the whole thing, but highlight the stuff that's new and, and the, the bigger sort of new sections. Mm, yeah, sure. Um, so I'd suggest going to 7.6 first, which isn't Ooh. that far in. Yeah, 7.0. I've past it already. Yeah. It's further back, yeah. good grief. Nice short. And it's, 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 it's oh, very timely. That. Yeah, you you mentioned your hydrogen article. So I I wrote this bit quite late. I wasn't going to go there, but then it sort of got to about, I think it got to about May and it was just, it kept nagging at me. And eventually I just went, you know what, with, with all of the, you know, information and sometimes misinformation that's out there, I thought I've got to go there. This is, this is my only real chance to say my piece. Obviously with the Y rail electrification report, um, we, yeah. we did that, but this is just, this is a bit more detail, a bit more technical, um, kind of just setting out the case yeah, for so the different options, you know, and what they're actually useful for and what they're definitely not useful for. Ah, so you can so, see some nice reference stuff here. Yeah, lovely. It, yeah, and I've tried, I always try to evidence anything like this these days. I always try and evidence it, and, you know, and I'm, I'm trying not to. I'm not sitting there saying hydrogen's not got a use and batteries haven't got a use, but I'm just trying to point people towards what the realistic uses are, what the limitations are. Um, and yeah, and just, and just the fact that they are complementary technologies, not a replacement for electrification. And I even went, I, I even I just did, spotted something very exciting. You saw which... the D word. Yeah. I went there. <laughs> I went there. That was the last bit I wrote. I really wasn't going to go there, but then I thought I, I can't not, I can't ignore it. You know, so, so, well. so much as you probably don't want me to, you're going to be back at some point with a dedicated episode to discontinuous electrification because it's a question that I think needs a dedicated answer. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm afraid you're, uh, you, I'm <laughs> going to be dragging you kicking and screaming back in to talk about the D word, which is discontinuous electrification and talk about, well, expand on this. So, so there's, there's, that's an, a, basically an A4 page worth there of information that, that I yeah. presume you've compressed from goodness knows, goodness knows how many more pages. But um, Yeah. I mean, and it's a bit tentative as well because the reality is that, I mean, one of my, 
one of the concerns about discontinuous electrification, it just isn't something that people do. Uh, there aren't railways around the world operating in that way. So it's it's experimental. And you know, Core Valley Lines in Wales, they're going to they're going to realise that experiment and we'll see how they get on. Um, so I'm not going to sit and, you know, waffle on for pages and pages about discontinuous electrification because I would just be as much as anyone else's. I would be guessing to a certain extent. But what is clear is that what discontinuous electrification does is trade off um, infrastructure cost for rolling potentially for rolling stock cost it moves complexity into the rolling stock area and that you know that that it remains to be seen what the what the whole life benefits or disbenefits of that approach is so that's 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 in a nutshell what i'm saying in the uh, in the, in that piece but also you know that there are some clear challenges around discontinuous electrification um, you, you can't you can't just switch an electric train on and off at will and expect to maintain a timetable. Um, it, it makes everything a lot more complicated and everything has to be designed to work together. And it also means that rolling stock will be captive for its entire life. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, rolling stock cascades are the backbone of the railway economy. You know that, Gareth. Um, and and I, I struggle to see how how those uh, those fleets will ever be cascaded anywhere else. So um, you know, we, we'll see. We yeah, have to wait and see. It's interesting. We've had a yeah. I mean, that's a broader point, isn't it? That we've we've seen we've we've almost seen the the current railway the, the way the railway industry is structured at the moment, or certainly was structured uh, until fairly recently, has pushed further and further against cascaded rolling stock. And in fact, the last time we tried to do a big rolling stock cascade was in May twenty eighteen, and that's mm. a, a period in recent railway history. I think Didn't a lot of people well. on here will remember. So. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that that's it, that we've almost pivoted entirely, and even we're now developing massive infrastructure interventions that lock in. Keeping but we've got to relearn it because if we're going to have a rolling program of electrification, we also need a pro rolling program of rolling stock. Yeah, that rolling stock needs to be able to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it has to be. We we have to relearn that skill. So, I mean, we could, as I say, that's for another, I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming for another episode of that. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. So, yeah. you've got a bit on, on, on hydrogen traction, uh, a decent chunk on that, and then we get into, then we get back into the meat of it again. Yeah, so this is this is familiar from the previous yeah. version. Um, maybe roll on to, we'll go to 10.7.5, but we'll not spend very long there, because this is, yeah. this is a oh, bit more, just, this is going to scare if people aren't electrical engineers, this might scare people a bit. But uh, I'm going to scroll. I'm going to attempt oh, some some seriously tasty photographs through here. I, I one thing I have tried to do is is upgrade all of the images and you know try to as much as possible get rid of the low res images. I finally cracked, finally cracked having a PDF file that's manageable but still retains the high resolution on the images. So nice. if you haven't zoomed in yet, do. Um, yes, because I was most of say, I, in fact, let's. Yeah, but it's not bad. That's not bad at all. That's mm. nice high res. I bet I picked a picture that's not. That's probably good. not the best picture, but uh, yeah, try that one because that was a recent. Oh yeah, that's that is very nice. Yeah, that's pretty well zoomed in. Lovely yeah. job. Um, so right, sorry, what was that? That was ten point which ten seven five. Ten point seven five. I don't want to scroll too quickly, partly because I want people to see the fun, and also partly I don't want to give anyone who's photosensitive. A... I love that. I love that picture, by the way. If you scroll back up, that super grid transformer, not that one, the one on the page before. Um, Chris Wilson provided me with that. That's Didcot. That's the actual ah. 400 kV in feed at Didcot. Um, not somewhere I would ever be allowed to set foot. I hasten to <laughs> add, but uh, I found somebody who has stepped on that hallowed ground. So that's the back of Didcot Power Station. 
Um, in fact, it's 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 one of only two bits of Didcot Power Station that's still in operation because mm. most of it's been flattened, yeah. and they're going to build housing on it. But um, yeah, that's actually what it looks like when you actually take a fees direct from the national grid. Um, it's is... not a bit of the railway. It's not railway infrastructure. It's owned by the grid. It's not owned by the network rail. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, this gives an idea. Everyone looking at this, it gives you an idea of the quality of the. Of this yeah, just stop. Right, just stop there. I've got to point this out to everybody. Oh, you this was the bit. Um, <laughs> this is the bit where I have to. I have to hold my hand up, and I've been mis, miseducating everybody on this for the last fifteen years. Um, uh, if you if you thought you understood how auto transformer feeding worked based on my previous version of the book, you better go back and read it again. <laughs> it's completely changed. <laughs> I was I was schooled by uh, one of uh, Dr. Roger White, who's a, an absolute. Uh, legend expert in in railway electrical engineering and he he's been puzzling over auto transformer feeding and realized that the um in my defense the snc description snc sncf description is also wrong uh-huh. uh, and i was basing mine off of off of that so um uh, there was a frantic week just before the pdf came out when i had to rewrite this entire section and the diagrams so um it's every yeah. Day, uh, yeah i can relate to feeling yeah i can i can relate to that although not not admittedly in print quite the way that sound waves propagate in tunnels and cause sonic booms i had that wrong i was um i mm. had the had my understanding of it updated i've been teaching students the wrong way of that and uh it just happens doesn't it uh, and, and there's an important principle there's you know even people who you know uh who are sort of professing to to know how things work can get it wrong and the best you can do is you know highlight the error to people correct it and make sure uh you know, and it's learning learning for me. I thought I knew how an auto transformer worked, and I didn't. Uh, and now I think I do again, and hopefully it'll stick this time. <laughs> yeah, I've been through that journey. I thought I understood it because of the book behind me, and then I, I don't now, and I'm going yeah. to relearn that so, knowledge. Um, we've, we've got a very good question, actually, that's come through. Um, while we're mm. kind of up with this, this one's up, people can observe its beauty. So Coral asks, general question, how non-UK relevant is this book? I assume many parts are relevant to wherever uses 25kV ACOLE, but some bits are probably UK-specific. Yeah. So I... For the for the higher level stuff, stuff like this, I've tried to make it as non UK specific as I can. Um, albeit, you know, my knowledge is is biased because I spent most of my career working in the UK. Um, the more detailed stuff, you know, when we get down, down to nuts and bolts level, that is very UK specific. Um, you know, it, it's always the case. Even the even you know my main competition, if you like, the Siemens book, which isn't really competition because it's very different kind of tone and it's more it's it's depth rather than breadth um even that book is written mostly from a german practice um japanese practice and french practice perspective um there's very little uk practice in there so it, it's inevitable that you can only write what you know really so yeah yeah so um right i shall continue gently cruising yeah. forwards 10 see all the it's fantastic i mean the, honestly the the graphics it's an incredibly high quality production there's the amount of information mm-hmm. in here it's died it's also yeah so that was the bit just go back two pages back yeah um so this bit if you um this is an area where i'm talking about protection which is a fancy way of saying um switching the oil switching everything off when something goes wrong so in your house if you go to your main consumer unit in your house you'll see protection there you'll call them circuit breakers or fuses um, and those are protection devices so it's no different on the railway we have just much much larger circuit breakers um 
the sort of classic way of doing protection is shown in that figure 53. Um, that's what we call distance protection. But on recent years, and particularly on Great Western, um, we've moved away from using the, the classic protection system. And if you go over two pages, uh, yeah, keep going. Um, so, and another page over. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one there. So this is the way that Great Western works. Instead of classic protection is all about identifying where the fault is and then just isolating that section. And that way the rest of the railway keeps running uninterrupted. Um, RATS protection, which is rationalized auto transformer uh, system protection, takes a completely different approach where you switch everything off in a hurry and, uh, and then you identify where the fault is. Uh, actually, no, sorry, I, I, forgive me. Um, you... You, uh, you detect where the fault is, but then you switch everything off and then you um, reclose and reconnect the bits that aren't affected by the fault. And the, the key reason why we've gone down that road instead is our old friend cost reduction. Um, by doing that, you can have fewer circuit breakers. Uh, you can replace circuit breakers with disc with um, disconnectors. And disconnectors are a lot cheaper than uh, circuit breakers, and it's only, in a, it's only it's only been possible because we've got, now got on an internet protocol-based mm. um, protection comms system, um, which is called sixty-one eight fifty. It's just named after the standard it, that that, uh, that defines it, and that's really allowed us. Aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very clever. It does rely. It relies on more computer complexity and certainly the job of the SCADA engineer has changed a lot with this uh, system but um, it's, it's definitely the future and uh, I think we're going to see I think we're going to see uh, versions of this on future electrification schemes because it's those cost reduction opportunities that can't be ignored really. Yeah. yeah some of the systemic stuff it's not people often make a big deal about steelwork but actually it's a lot of the systemic stuff that's mm. maybe not so visible yeah some of the major cost savings it, it, it's interesting i've now got a stat on that by the way but people who think that the maths and wires are the thing that we got to solve to make things cheaper um on, on average um the cost of the materials in the ole system is seven percent <sighs> of the cost of an electrification scheme that's, so that's it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. So if you can get that seven percent down to five percent, great. So what? Yeah, it's the <laughs> yes. other it's the other ninety three percent you've got to go at. Yeah, and, um, and this is an element of that. You know? Sorry, I, I want to pick up a point because it's something that I think a few people have probably heard the acronym before. But it, can you explain SCADA to, mm. to the, the people watching? Super. So SCADA stands for Supervised Control and Data Acquisition. It's a it's a communication protocol um, and there's not one protocol. There are different. So you can buy it from Talis and there are other, you know, other, other uh, comms organizations are available, but it's essentially a system that um, allows you to, it allows you to remote control and monitor the whole system. So SCADA is the reason why the whole of the um, great Western uh, electrification is controlled from one room in Didcot. Yeah. Um, so it, it, what it does is it, it allows you to it, it monitors the substations and the, the traditional system. What it does, is it polls each substation in turn. So it just goes, are you all right? Yes. Are you all right? Yes. Are you all right? And it keeps going round in a circle mm. saying, is every substation OK? And then if, it, if a substation says, no, I'm not OK, it goes, OK. It notes that and then carries on around the circle because it, it goes around the circle like multiple times a second. So it'll say, OK. I'll get back to you. And it goes all the way around again. And then on the next visit, it says, okay, what's wrong? And the substation then reports, breaker 23 is out. 
right? And it, but then it also allows the control room operator to actually make things happen in the substation. So if if the control room operator wants to reclose that circuit breaker, then the SCADA system is the comm system that allows them to do that. So that's what it does in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, Graham Harris has just made quite a nice analogy, which I quite like. Uh, which is uh it's a bit like all these a bit like a paint scheme paint site mobilized labor surface preparation scaffold etc erection paint is the lowest yeah. cost part of the job uh, it's, yeah it's, it's a pretty good analogy and that 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 the the toy the, the work on site the people the plant yeah. that's that's a lot more than seven percent and, and in often people, cases the plant the standing army that you need to do electrification which is and, why we've got to focus on those elements we've got to focus on construction efficiency um you know, maximizing use of plant, minimizing downtime, um, you know, looking at, we've got to look at access. How much access do we get? I know lots of people say, let's just have big blockades. We don't think it's that simple. Um, but that's where the money is. That's yeah. really where the money yeah, is. Yeah, and that it might be the case side. that you increase material costs by 1% to yes. make a 20% so saving in, in yeah. staff time. So the, yeah. the, 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 yeah, this is this, the, the, it's complicated, folks. And actually, the engineers do generally have an idea of what they're doing. Um, oh, Gordon, Jilks, nice to see you. Welcome. Uh, lots Excellent. of good points. Hello, lots Gordon. Good, yeah, hi, Gordon. Lots of, lots of good points uh, coming up. We had an interesting question, actually. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. I mean, you should tell me what the next point is, and we'll slowly scroll through. And then yeah, I'll ask yeah. The um, let's go to completely change of tone. Let's go to section 14. Section 14. Which was, okay, right. uh, which was really fun to oh, write just, because it's completely bonkers. I haven't seen this for a while, crikey. Yeah, yeah, the classic. <laughs> Figure four. <laughs> um, so the question we had was, um, how many uh, 25 kV OLE-powered trains, British trains, could actually run in the on the European network? Uh, from a, a formal from a formal point of view, none. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> um, none of them have. Formal but in terms of rights. lifting one up, parking it, running it, could you? Oh, you certainly you could. Um, you probably find that a load of French signalling might fall over. Yeah. Um, because the immunization work wouldn't have been done to make the make them compatible um you might find that your protection system doesn't like what it sees uh, because that's not been set up to because obviously the train is an electrical load so your protection system has to be matched to the electrical load um so it, it would i mean you could get the train moving if you put a 25 kv train on on a 25 kv line in france it it would begin to move but some rather unpleasant things might then happen in, in quite quick succession. You might blow up some location cases. Because you have to design yeah. the electrical system. You have to design the power system to to be compatible with the trains. And in the UK, we do that using standards. We do that. I mean, you know, Gareth, you, you talk very sensibly about standards and the role that they play. And that's a classic example. If I design the OLE, the electrification system to, to the standards, the UK standards, and then do the same with the uh, trains, then on paper they should work together. There's a bit more compatibility need. There's usually some shaking down needed in the detail, uh, but clearly the French, uh, the French electrification standards are not going to be the same as the UK ones. Despite the TSIs, despite uh, European um, uh, homologisation and all that good stuff, um, it's not the same. Okay, yes, trolley systems, tram and trolley systems. This was one. Um, Again, I, the only reason I started writing this is I went to, finally got round to going to Beamish. Yeah. <laughs> After reading about it for years and years and years, I thought, my God, I've got you know, pull, pull your finger out, Keenan, and get get up and then 
spent a lovely day wandering around Beamish taking lots of photos. And of course, I haven't taken the photos. I'm like, I've got to work out how this stuff all works. So, um, <laughs> yeah, with the help of a couple of people, I'm going to I'm going to do some thank yous, by the way, a bit later on. But with a couple of very helpful um, people um, and uh, and a rather old tatty book that I found on on in a second hand bookshop. Um, I wrote a section on how this works and it's completely different to conventional overhead line because with this stuff the um the 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 vehicle doesn't follow the wire um so obviously that means that that's why you have those long springy poles on the back and the uh, and the 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 pantograph it's not really a pantograph but the the current collector device follows the wires um rather than the other way around yeah um yeah that's one of the photos from beamish and that was really fascinating because it's just a completely different system. And I, it forced me to sort of start thinking from scratch how it all works mm. and understand it. So it was good. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a really properly interesting section. I, I, lots of lots of fantastic photos, some interesting stuff about wire supports and, and hangers mm. and, oh, and and how to deal with trolley wire geometry on curves. It's really nice. It's really mm. nice. It was quite a struggle as well because the trouble is I kept writing about Beamish and like obviously <laughs> the stuff at Beamish it's not exactly cutting edge. It's not it's not a modern trolleybus system in Eastern Europe. It's yeah. it's a museum literally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of Beamish photos here. I, I, I yeah, think yeah. you enjoyed yourself. And that and that's a function of the fact that I was writing this during a, a pandemic, and we don't have any trolley systems in the UK. So I was um, yeah relying yeah. on overseas friends and to uh to help me out with a few photos as well so. I, I was in saltair actually and went up and we were just wandering around dean and i had gone actually it was like one of the first things we did as things were lifting out we we're like we're gonna go on a little trip on the train we're gonna have our masks mm -hmm. on we're gonna go on a nice trip and we went out to saltair and had a wander around it was really nice actually we had a canal walk and everything we loved that sort of thing um mostly because i'm an, an industrial heritage nerd so there's plenty for me to look at but we actually went to the top of the hill this this does have a point i promise um, and at the top of the hill is what is now quite a nice like brew house and, and kind of beer beer brewing sort of establishment in a in a building that very obviously is transport related. Now my instinct was right, that's that's trams, right? It's got to be trams. Actually, uh, yes to an extent, but actually it was trolley buses, and, and it, was, mm. it was it was one of the last. The Bradford trolley bus system was one of the last, if not the last, to yeah, operate yeah. in the UK, and it's a, it yeah. was a fantastic system. And it, it, it was in the seventies; it was still running. And you're just thinking, "What? Why did I, we get rid of that?" I was alive then. Yeah. Why did we what get rid of that? Bizarre thought. Yeah. Grief. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, when I say there's no trolley systems in the UK, what I really mean is there's no modern, you know, meat and potatoes public transport trolley systems with modern, modern wiring or the stuff you see there. I mean, that picture at the top, you know, that that's essentially 1890s technology. Yeah. Um, Which is quite spectacular because it doesn't look that far from. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't. You look at it and you're like, I must admit, I was I was watching them go through, just thinking, this shouldn't really work. How does it stay <laughs> up? Doesn't it just fall down once a week? But you know, I guess they know how to fettle it, how to keep it moving. So yeah, and um, for for those saying I should have gone to Santoft, yeah, I'm going to the trolley bus museum at some point, and I'll do a rail nap there. I absolutely promise because I have never been there and I want to go. Which one's that, Gareth? There's there's one. It's on the it's south. Of, it's near Doncaster actually. It's in like the I think it's on the island. That funny island that's not really an island. That's an island near that's in Leicestershire, right? Oh, People okay. need to correct me on this, but it's the it's the trolley bus museum that is uh, near Donny. Maybe we should ah. both go. Maybe yes, we should make it definitely. a trip. Yeah, all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll do an, an on-location Gary and Gareth mm. look at trolley buses. Um, anyway, right. So that's fantastic. And you've got you've got some disadvantages. There's some explanations there. It's really good. There's lovely yeah. stuff. So next interesting new section. Yeah. 
Yeah, where should we go to next? Uh, 16.4. Let's 16. go to 16.4. So I mean, is this all right, everyone, in the chat? Is this quite? A, is this useful kind of view of the of the book for those? I mean, quite a few of you might not have actually gone through the book at all ever. So hopefully this is kind of interesting to just look at it and see the level of detail. But I think the key thing is, yes, there's lots of text and explanations, but it's the level of detail in the... Um, the level of detail that actually goes into the you know there's, there's lots of imagery so there's lots of visual prompts so if you're the sort of person who, who finds visual prompts really important as part of your learning process there's loads mm -hmm. of that in here now we've just got to a section that says modern tunnels was that where you're yes. pointing me to and I, I yeah yeah so um I, I suddenly realized that i hadn't sort of I've just sort of ignored tunnels and um yeah. you know which are quite difficult can be quite difficult to electrify so um I, I wrote the modern tunnel section without too much problem, although I did um, get some really good help from uh, Rob Daffern at Fur and Frey because they're, you know, they're very much tunnel gurus. They do all the stuff in Switzerland and places like that. So um, the modern tunnels was interesting, but the really uh, the the one probably more challenging one was the next section, which is um, so you've got, so you've got the historic tunnels. Yeah, yeah. So that's, all fine. that's a fan that 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 picture on the previous page. That's a fantastic picture actually because it it shows a tunnel in the process of being converted from conventional OLE which is on the right to rigid bar oh yeah that's um, nice i like that and that's literally the two systems sitting side by side yeah. and then they're going to come in and rip out the the contact wire and just leave the bar behind that's quite but nice it just shows you it shows you how much less space yeah the rigid bar system uses yeah. um which is i'm sure why rob took it in the first place and yeah. very kindly allowed us to use it so uh, it's, it's brilliant like yeah, useful from it. Yeah, staging wise, that's quite nice. I, I quite like that picture because yeah. it shows that you've got, you know, you can put the stuff in, but actually, often it's, it take, it, putting the physical kit in isn't the whole story when it comes to activating an electrified, you know, electrification right. systems. So the fact that you can then still have the old system running while you're commissioning mm. all the ancillary kit, that's, uh, yeah. I like that a lot. Anyway, sorry, mm. I got distracted because historic yeah. tunnels. Yeah, so historic go. tunnels, that, that was a real challenge for me because I actually, I've not, I've never been involved in electrifying a, historic tunnel lots of my colleagues have but just you know just the way these the chips fall sometimes i've never really worked on a tunnel uh, design uh, but also i just don't understand victorian tunnels um uh, I, I do a bit now but i didn't when i sat down to write this that um luckily i i did I, you know i started ringing around people i knew and uh, eventually landed on a, a chap called peter harris who is um on the British Tunnelling Society, and he's an absolute font of knowledge on how Victorian tunnels work, how they were built, and sort of the challenges that they present from a from a civil engineering point of view and a drainage point of view, and all of those sorts of things. And of course, all that impacts on how you electrify them. So, um, so yeah, shout, big shout out to Peter. Um, couldn't have ruined this section without him, and he gave me loads of good information. And then, and then we went out photographing tunnels, as you well know, Gareth. That one top right might look familiar. Yeah, we. I, I mean, I was hidden in a bush here somewhere, trying to work out how to get closer <laughs> to it at this point. And at this point, we were both sort of. I think yeah, I was getting hungry at this point. I think I think we were both like, right, it's towards the end of the day. Yeah, it was a long day, wasn't it? Getting. You were knackered because yeah. you've you've been driving a lot. Yeah, I'd driven up in the morning, hadn't I? Yeah. yeah. So I went back and I got I actually got two pizzas. I was very nice. I got a pizza for a homeless man and then I got a pizza for myself and I sat in Derby Station eating my pizza and I was quite pleased with myself having spent all day nerding out with you looking at tunnels. Uh, it was quite a nice day out. Anyway, I digress massively. Uh, yeah, some nice pictures of. Uh, in fact, the ones we took are the best ones, I think. Although this is quite a nice long, long lens at Tobmore as well. Yeah, yeah. 
we're just okay. as you can see there gary just enjoying looking at the photos of uh, his own photos of tunnels there you really did just get lost looking at those tunnels looking quite i did i could have yeah <laughs> it, it, I, it, it's and it's always difficult to know when to stop uh, but i do I, I think it's really important if you're writing something like this not to the thing i'm always the rule i've always set for myself is don't turn it into stamp collecting yeah. What, do I, what do I mean by that? I mean, for instance, some people have said to me, why don't you have an appendix with all the different types of registration arms? And my response to that is because it would be stamp collecting. Yeah. Um, it's just collecting stuff together for the sake of it. And the th and even if you think it would be useful, I then have to maintain it. You know, yeah. I, if, if you want to know the registration arms, look at the design catalogs. I c it's, you know, the, there's a risk that you make the book unmaintainable because it changes too often. So uh, I know Gareth, you know you're 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 potentially going down a similar route with Pway at some point, and I yeah. know we we've spoken about it, and I've said you know don't so don't 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 get you know don't try and catalog all the pandrol clips. Yeah, it's just, you know for <laughs> that's what the pandrol yeah, catalogs for. For anyone who hopes that the P, the hashtag Pway book is going to be this is <laughs> this isn't an excuse to turn it into a plug, Gary. You mean? Uh, and I've been hiding from people asking me about this. It's not going to be a catalogue of all P-Way, I'm afraid. It's going to explain why, and it's not going to detail it, for exactly the reasons Gary said. It's immediately out of date as soon as it's published, and yeah. you'll miss something, and mm. yeah. Because uh, the way this is written now, this this, and it, I will settle the book down now. I, I think I'll be leaving it alone for three years. I know I said that last time, but I really will this time. Um, I think you know it's a three- to five-year update cycle which is given the amount of work you have to put into it just to do an update. So you have to go through every single standard reference. Is it, is the standard changed? Has the clause moved? Does the clause still say the same thing? It's got a lot of effort just keeping, keeping the book up to date. So, uh, so that's the reason why I, you know, keep it, I just try and keep it. I don't think I always succeed, but try and keep it at the right level where it's, it, you know, it's a gen, it's a book for generalists. It gives you an overview. It's not depth, it's breadth. That's what I make. That's what I'm pitching for. Uh, oh, we've had a nice picture of tunnels up for several seconds, burned into mm. people's uh, memories. So that's that's yeah. Nice. And, and we go? Oh, you've got a lovely. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I mean Peter, Peter provided me with all these, you know, mad. He goes, oh, did you know about witches' hats? Well, <laughs> I thought I did, but I don't, maybe not unless this tunnel's haunted. Um, <laughs> so yeah, witches' hat. Comes I learned a lot during that. the process. Also, um, go to the see there at the bottom there the footnote there. Oh yeah. Um, that YouTube link's amazing. Graham Bicker Dykes um it's like a i think it might have been a tv program at one point and it's absolutely superb and it'll tell you everything you want to know about how tunnels were built in the oh victorian era okay that's a half hour link so yeah 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 as a reminder to everyone uh again i should have put this as a slide that was really stupid that i didn't i, I suppose i could still do it while we're chatting when, when you go off on one i'll maybe add it in as a slide in the background but mm. um this is downloadable now for free you can all yeah. go and download this for free off ocsforrail.com. Like, yeah. how amazing is that? Having and, and now that I've bumped incredible. up my server bandwidth, yeah. the, the site might not fall over when you do it. So, <laughs> so test it to destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. What's so we've got? I said we've got what discussions of what? Oh yeah, universe, those are my seven tunnel photos. Masonry. Yeah, I was going to say seven tunnel. Good grief! Just fantastic. Actually, it's worth good. Yeah. So there's there's the tunnel taking a piss into the. Into I, I should the add that this is this was before it was electrified. So yeah. I I think I think some work has been done to remediate some of these, particularly the one on the roof this there, is, the bottom this right. This where um, I argue that there needs to be a new seven tunnel. So that you can essentially use it as the old seven tunnel until you do what you plan doing with it in the long term. So that you can go from one end of the current seven tunnel to the other, 
and totally reconstruct it mm. because it is a it's um it's a it's a real it's, challenge it's i a mean challenging you talk to the people who maintain the seven tunnel they've they're, they're you know they're just fighting a constant battle against corrosion i think the um rail life in the tunnel is eight years i think yeah yeah yeah. it turns into as opposed it, to 40 things, outside it, it, it turns into it, it rapidly opens up and delaminates so you get this this mm. steel section that is tougher than you could ever possibly imagine turning into stuff that you can just literally scrunch up with your hand and turn into pulp it's just uh, it's quite spectacular um yeah incredible there's a whole there's a whole we need to get someone who is a maintainer of the seven tunnel onto rail matter because that would just be incredibly fascinating mm. um, anyway right sorry so yeah here we are he's got some some nice uh some nice ngd prof, uh, profiles here of some tunnels uh, yeah. uh lovely some nice uh, you know uh and, and sort of explanations of how you might uh fit a willy within that so, yeah. yeah very nice you know it's trying to show what how you you, you have to you have to choose the OLE configuration that suits the shape of the tunnel you literally have to follow the shape i mean that one bottom right is what we call a tunnel arm you know and you can see it's basically designed to follow the arch of the tunnel um to squeeze it all in yeah and what's worse is that in lots of tunnels in 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 gb your method changes through the tunnel because the section might change it gets wider or there's a weird bulge uh i remember there's definitely a weird bulge on uh, Mm. on bradway which I think there's one. Oh, where's the Where's the King's Cross picture? Um, Let's go. Which Joanna will know yes. that. Yes, that one. You can actually see it there. The first few. I think the first few. How does that work? Oh, I think there's... the first few are bridge, uh, are tunnel arms, and then yeah. it turns into bridge arms further yeah. into because the, there must be a flat deck section in there somewhere. Yeah. So uh, yeah, tunnels are a nightmare. Yeah, under the canal, it's a flat. So it's flat through where right. the canal goes. I think yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, crikey. And then additional, then 16.6, addition, if you thought that wasn't enough, additional tunnel challenges. Mm. So, yeah. Insulators don't sell. Our insulators are designed to self-clean. So oh, the right. action of rainwater cleans them, ah, which is great unless you're it. in a tunnel yeah. <laughs> where there's A, no rainwater. Well, there is rainwater, but not not falling in the way you want it to fall. Um, and it's highly uh, But there is also rich. a load of diesel pollution. And, so. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, crikey. Yeah. Um, so there you go. So there's, and there's, there's an interesting little point about... Um, Signal. Oh, so this is signaling. We're getting to signal signing. Okay, so what's yeah, we're on to interfaces section? now. Let's go to seventeen, because yeah, I think 17. seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen are probably the bit I'm proudest of in this new ah, version. So here we are, um, seventeen, the planning phase. So, so seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen is planning, design, and construction. And and you know, if if you're listening to this and you do electrification as your job, no matter what your role on that, whether you're a project manager. Whether you're a, a lines person, it doesn't matter. Read six, seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen because it is my attempt to give an end-to-end overview of how to do it right. And I appreciate that the context of that is that we haven't always done it right. Um, so this is sort of my my plea to the industry, really, as to what to do going forward. And I haven't written this on my own either. Clearly, I'm, I mean, I I do not build OLE. I know nothing about building OLE. So. Yeah. Um, Big shout out. Simon keeps telling me off for thanking him on two different, too many different social media channels. So Simon Skinner, if you're listening, here's another <laughs> one. Thank you, Simon and the SPL team for helping me write the construction section. Um, so no, this, this is really about, and it's, it's about efficient electrification. It's about doing it once, doing it right, not going back to, you know, to fix things, you know, putting in everything right first time. It's all of those efficiency goals, uh, but how you, how you achieve them at a high level clearly it's not 
this isn't a detailed you know it's not gonna you can't just print this off and then use it as your uh, as your uh, project execution plan but um it's it's my attempt to give people a a steer really as to how to go about it this, this is this is this is your experience of uh, this is your career and the experience all mm. the other stuff the technical stuff fine but this is actually mm. you say well, when it comes to actually making this happen <laughs> here is what i've yeah. learned of stuff that goes wrong stuff that yes. goes right how to make yeah. it how, how you can get it delivered well mm. uh the classic pitfalls so on absolutely um yeah, interestingly the, the planning section the first one because the difference between planning and design is planning is the stage where you go from I think I want to electrify this railway to I I have, you know, I have a reference design and a certain and, and a reasonable grip on what it's going to cost. That's the planning stage. And also I've identified all of the risks and the and the things we're going to have, you know, planning consents, environmental issues and all those sorts of things. That's the planning stage. It's only then when you get into the design. Um, the, for the planning stage, it's really only in the last year that I've actually been able to write that because it's only in the last year that I've got involved with planning new electrification schemes yeah. from scratch. Um, so uh, that's been a really useful experience for me. And that's the other thing, you never stop learning. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. it doesn't matter how many jobs you've worked on. Um, you, ne you never stop learning. And, if, and I, I would suggest to anyone on the call who's in the industry, and if you do find yourself stop learning, it, it might be time to move roles. Absolutely, um, yeah. You don't, you don't ever want to get bored. I, I, I've got a very low boredom threshold, so <laughs> yeah. I'm always looking for to be slightly out of my comfort zone. Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's like every project I do, I'm hoping to be slightly outside of my comfort zone. So, uh, yeah, uh, and I, I'm pleased that that continues to be the case. Sometimes it's different sorts of comfort zones, but actually sometimes that's good too because you learn other mm. things. Yeah, I was fed up with the project I was doing recently, but then all of a sudden, out of thin air, I found myself, um, I found myself having to do like absolute first principles permanent way engineering, like as in designing thermal yeah. capacities of rails and, and designing bolted joints from scratch. And so like, all of a sudden, I was like, "Ooh, uh, yes. I'm lost. Good, <laughs> I'm gonna have to learn all this stuff." So um, that's it. Because yeah, your first, broadly speaking, the first part of your career as a design engineer is, is spent learning the rules, isn't it? Yeah. And then the second part is working out how and when it's appropriate to break them um, <laughs> exactly. yeah. because it is sometimes appropriate and yeah. then sometimes it's necessary to break them. And if you're looking at cost reduction techniques, it is absolutely necessary that you challenge some rules and break some rules and, and make some new rules. Oh, it's, um, as, and we're going through that process at the moment. As Bridget Eikhoff puts it very well, being of the RSSB and in charge of infrastructure safety for the RSSB, essentially um, infrastructure is her domain. She points out that um, the standards you can break, happily break standards if you're managing the risk in a different way, which is what we do yeah. as engineers. We find a Absolutely. different way to manage those risks. And um, sometimes that's by breaking the rules and sometimes that's by having to write entirely new ones for a project as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so here's the design uh, phase. This is section 18. And, so, and there's no doubt that the, the rules around electrification will be significantly different uh, in, in five years' time from what they are now. And not just OLE, power and distribution as well, I think, is going through a really big sea change um you know rats is one element of it oh my lord excellent hang on let me go get mine when's yours is 67 is it 60 i'm gonna break my audio now 67 don't break it don't pull yeah don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who's not sure it, for audio only people this is I, my one this this book i got from the wonderful peter ellison says, uh oh yours let's see yours fooling the camera you find the camera your what 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 year is yours it's it's not green so it must be older. Uh, do you know, I don't actually know. 
67. There's no date in it. There's no date in it. This weirdly. is absolutely beautiful and in good condition because Peter Elston was a P-Way engineer and clearly didn't give a stuff about reading into this. Well, it, I think it. I think it might be very close to yours because it's got a map of the West Coast Main Line. It's okay. electrified, so yeah, around about the same time. If, uh, you get these, who... By the way, you can get these on eBay surprisingly cheaply. Yeah, so. they're not. They're not too. But it's nice. But the, the, the reason yeah. I held that up like an obnoxious git isn't because I just wanted to hold a, an excuse for me to talk again. It was making the point that these things develop. This this document is. Yeah. Very little of the, I mean, okay, the underlying principle is fine, but very There's little. There's now 12 volumes to that, 29987, yeah. isn't there? So yeah, yeah, things do get more complicated over time, mainly due to the need to um, improve health and safety. You know, yeah. um, we were, when, when that was in force, we were fairly routinely killing and maiming people, uh, overhead line staff, and, uh, and that's not good enough. Yeah, we were um, probably killing as many overhead line staff a year that we now currently recruit. Uh, so um, yeah, honestly, not not a good place to be. Um, I, I can I've... still remember doing my placement at Romford over at Line Depot and meeting a chap there who had who had one arm instead of two, um, and he, he used to be a linesman and uh, had an accident and I was lucky to only lose an arm. Yeah, and, uh, and since then had been working in stores. So yeah, it's not to be messed with. And talking of safety, so continue to go through the design phase because you know our whole as both of us are safe, we have a safety critical role. Where well. Our, our job is safety critical as designers. We have to make sure we get stuff right. We can't booze while we're in the office, sadly, uh, because we have to make sure everything we get right, uh, everything we do is got right, primarily for safety reasons. And this, and, and you kind of presumably you touch on that pretty regularly in this in section yeah, of yeah. the book. Yeah, there's a constant message that you know that it it's safety and reliability and efficiency. The three go hand in hand. Um, generally speaking, if you're designing an unreliable system, it's probably an unsafe system. Yeah. Um, if you're designing a system inefficiently and building it inefficiently, you're probably going to cause an accident as well, um, because you know more t you spend more time on site, um, people get confused, people you know it, it all goes hand in hand. So um, yeah, so uh, James P. Sorry, which document is that? The, oh, the, the document that I was holding up was the it's the it's called the OLE Green Book. Uh, what is yeah. it? AC Electrified Lines Working Instructions. Uh, yes, it's, it's formal title. Um, um, so, uh, well, I was going to make a point. Oh, yeah, a good example. Yeah, generally, you're, uh, yeah, absolutely agree. Like safety, like safety, safe design principles just absolutely go hand in hand with designing a, a railway system that's, that, that works better. So, for example, um, providing uh, safe walking routes along the railway um, is obviously a no-brainer from a safety perspective. So you can have people walking a safe distance from trains comfortably. Also, it means that they can get to the railway to maintain it. <laughs> it's like a, yeah. an absolutely very, they can much more easily get to the places they need to be to maintain infrastructure. For example, they don't need to take a line blockage to access a location cabinet to fix something. You know, these are it's generally safe design principles also give you a better railway, um, kind of from a, an efficiency and a operational perspective. Anyway, sorry, I've digressed again, yeah, yeah. dreadfully. Um, Keep sending your questions through, by the way. Right, this is new, uh, 18.2. So um, I'm, I'm not a power and distribution engineer. I'm an overhead line engineer. So the power and distribution is the electrical bit that sits by the line side and actually takes power from the national grid and feeds it to the OLE. And then the OLE is obviously the stuff over the track. So I, I deal with the stuff over the track. Um, I'm not a power and distribution engineer, but luckily I work with some people who, who are absolute masters of, uh, of P&D design. So... Uh, they very. Uh, I, I I realised that my my you know alleged design section telling you how to design things was only explaining one half of the system. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. so we've added all the power and distribution stuff in there, which uh, 
you know some some of this I, some of this i would struggle with um which is uh, more and more i'm finding with the book i'm i'm often writing about things right on the edge of my knowledge as well and on the edge of my understanding you're very um, but good. i don't i don't, I only need to understand it enough to write it in layman's terms and it, and again it's high level you know i yeah, can't design it, a substation i i wouldn't have a clue yeah. um yeah you know this isn't an instruction this isn't a recipe book no, for designing absolutely not stuff this is it, it's to provide very useful cross discipline it, knowledge it, it tells um, you yeah. what you need to do, but it doesn't tell you how to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a bit more on SCADA here, which is good. Uh, we yeah. do have uh, some PND engineers on the on, on uh, live. Yeah, we've got Gordon. Hello, Gordon. Uh, as Gordon often says, it's all very well getting your electrification up, but if you can't power the bloody stuff, there's no point, is there? And, uh, that seems to be a point that we collectively have also forgotten in Britain, because uh, and not just for OLE, but for third rail uh, of late. Anyway, there we go. Enabling designs, OLE allocation design. Do you mention P-Way in here? I hope you do. Uh, I, I think it gets a brief mention. <laughs> <laughs> Something about know where your track is. Helpful. Don't and also try and design over line unless you understand your track geometry at, <laughs> in great detail. Um, I, was, I was having an argument about that today at work, funnily enough. Um, it's something that quite regularly comes up. Um, just why like, do you need the track? Well, because we have to follow it. <laughs> I've just been so I've just come off a, a project I previously worked on. I won't say what the project was, but I'd previously proposed uh, to change the track. Uh, it was currently it had irregular six foots, as in the distance between the, the two tracks, the interval, if you like, and it also had irregular levels between the two tracks. And one mm. of the things I'd proposed was, no, we're going to correct that as part of the work because yes, that adds a bit of extra to the scope, not a huge amount more, but it also is very useful for our. Um, other disciplines that are having to do the design and that's it's been value engineered out and my fear is that it's been value engineered out without a discussion with the ole people so it's going to be interesting to see how that mm. how that conversation goes but um, yeah uh yeah uh just and, then, like... and that's one of the themes isn't it is that um the railway is a system overhead line is not a system i always i always say to people overhead lines are subsystem of the railway yeah. um so whenever you change something on the railway you've got to look at the whole system everything's connected everything's related and the interfaces is where things always go wrong. So, Absolutely. yeah, don't. If you mess around with the track, talk to the OLE engineer. If you mess around with the OLE, talk to the track engineer. You know, it's just it's just basic systems if engineering. If you're, if you're a PY engineer and you've got you've got or may have OLE at any point, go and have a chat with the uh, the OLE designer. Have a nice yeah. long chat with them and work out what they'd quite like because your design will be better as a result. Um, uh, we have a question from Gary Howarth, which is a good one. When uh, anybody know when the uh, campaign to electrify Britain's railways website is going to be updated? No, where are you? No, <laughs> no. We'll pass. <laughs> we'll he's a very busy pass. man. He, he gets is, yeah. around a lot. I, I, you know, he, he, he's if he's not live tweeting from a from a railway conference that that the rest of us uh, uh, would fall asleep at, um, he does a brilliant job on that. So, uh, it's, it's but true. yeah, he does I'll the give work. A, I'll so give him a kick under the table next time. I. Uh, have a call with him i'm hoping to get hold of one of his giant uh one of his giant signs uh, so i can have it behind me anyway right and we've got of course i've got i've got my badge my campaign to electrify britain's railways badge up there behind on top of the lego p engineers uh, right so we're continuing so we've got early bridge design we've got all yeah. the drawings we've got it's, i mean this is, this is a pretty hefty section gary fair play mm. crikey um, it, it always was but it's just got a bit bigger with all the p and d stuff being added so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i think it's finished now i'm, um, I'm I know I always regret saying that, but I, I think it is finished now. And then, and then yeah, the and then th this is... is the real. This is, I mean, this is the this is the bit I'm happiest with, I think. And and ironically, I've had the, I've had the, 
most help and the least input to writing um because it's just it's a process that i've never fully understood because obviously every contractor does it slightly differently um there are there are 19 different ways of wiring a railway um and you know maybe half a dozen of them are sensible and the others are maybe less efficient um yeah i had to i had to get swindon i had to get the swindon hoob in there somewhere so uh Uh, you you won't believe how long I spent in Photoshop pulling that together. It's beautiful. From about seventy three different images, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need to get ICE there. It's uh, it's far better than Photoshop is for image stitching. Uh, mm. Oh look, it's a it's a that that's a gauging issue. I'm just going to immediately point out. Yeah, yeah, it's not to gauge. It, it is. You just have to limbo under it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, Lovely. yeah. So that's the stra- that's the training span at Swindon, which is great because it's it's a gift for for doing early familiarization with people because it looks like a live railway but it's not there are no trains well they do occasionally put on track plant on there but you know you just have to get a say you know, a briefing from the from the site staff before you go on there and and uh, if necessary negotiate with the machine controller um and uh other than that it's not energized it's all safely you can see the bonding there it's all safely earthed down um and you can go and wiggle things and you know play around see see I always say to people, if you can get a chance to actually go, I mean, obviously don't go and touch OLE. Please don't go and touch over a line. Do not do but that. If, but if you are in the industry and get the opportunity to do that, either under an isolation and earth or a much, much better idea as a training span, um, grab, you know, do, do, do so because it, it's quite strange. You've got, I mean, this stuff, I've got a piece of it here. This is a piece of contact wire. Um, you know, it is a rigid bar. It's, a, yeah. it's 10 mil copper. It's it's absolutely rigid solid. And yet when you put it under tension and and, and, and support it's it every string. 50 meters, it becomes like a violin string and you can pluck it. And it's very strange. Mm. And it's also very, very, very dangerous mechanically. It's not, this isn't just an electrical hazard. It's a mechanical hazard. If this stuff breaks, you don't want to be anywhere near it because suddenly over a ton of, me- of mechanical tension releases and it's... Uh, bad things happen then so uh but yeah if you get if you get an opportunity to go to a training span uh do go do go and have a look this one yeah they put this there's a really nice one in york behind the new real sort of mm, port yeah. cabin there's a yeah. really nice bit of curved track kind of in the railway triangle there and, and uh and there's there are a few kind of dropped like low low level spans like this and there's quite a lot of hefty looking kit and the different types of registration arm and yeah it's good and and yeah echo that i think i said i think we've said this in a rail matter before actually I did it with the apprentices for the first time. They were doing design and they were like, you know, you're worrying about millimetres and you go out and, and what you have to do is is you go and you, I took them to a heritage railway because it was like, look at some track, look at some knackered track to understand how much of a beating it can take and still do its job. But also think about the fact that as a dynamic system, as the train's going past, you do need to have the, ac- so there's a, ba- yes, it, 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 it helps so much to go out and see physically Definitely. the railway that you're mucking around with. Yeah. Um, right, back to our miniaturised faces because, mm. um, we need to continue to roll through this. Yeah, let's so get into the construction because this, I mean, it's all fantastic. Most of these photos are provided by SPL. <laughs> apart, from, apart from that one, that's, yeah. Sorry, I'm let's, laughing. Let's just, let's just of... say, this. I'll just say Great Western, let's move on. Yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to read this uh, this uh, this out for the benefit of our, in fact, I'm going to, I've done a terrible job of audio describing uh, for the people who are listening to this in audio only. I'm so sorry. But um, this is a picture of a pile that is about the same height as an OLE mast anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's about, it's about up, four, five, four and a half meters out of the ground, I think. It's sticking up out of the ground, and the uh, there. Th- this is this is a wonderful state. This is like um, 
this is this is an incredible example of uh, understatement here. Figure three fifty two, extreme example of pile refusal risk. Tilehurst, <laughs> UK. I love that. It's great. That's that's. It's just you've created a structure, an object, a, a sculpture there, mm. uh, as in you, as in we. And and in- it's a really good illustration of getting out. As with any construction activity, getting out of the ground is the hardest part. Um, I think another stat, and I think. Now I know where this is from. I'm not going to say who it's from because I don't want to put them put them get them in trouble. But this is from an, a, a UK OLE construction company, and uh, they're on record as saying that for, remember that seven percent of the cost is materials. Mm. Well, forty percent of the cost of building the OLE system. So this is just the OLE, not the P and D, mm. not the bridge reconstructions, but just the mass and wires. Forty percent of it is foundations. So again, it's not, you know, if you're sitting there worrying about whether you can make your TTC a little bit slimmer, that's not where the cost is. The cost is in understanding your ground conditions as in as best a way you can to avoid that refusal risk. It's, uh, yeah, do, I mean, pennies spent at design saves pounds at construction. Absolutely, you yeah. Uh, know, we, typically, we typically work on the design, detailed design costing, I think around five to seven percent of the construction cost. So to give you an idea, you might say, "Oh, well, this design's a bit expensive. You spend an extra million quid." Okay, but we've saved fifty million on site. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and there we are. Continue. So we're looking at the piled foundations. You've got mm-hmm. uh, the, the way they're being driven here. Uh, it's a pretty impressive kit. Um, you've got some fantastic. This, I mean, this is brilliant here. stuff. This is all. This is all off bed for Kettering Corby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recently energized stuff that uh, SPL did. So, you know, very well. brilliant, absolutely superb photos that they provided us with. You know, a lot, these are the sort of photos that I would struggle to get hold of. You know, I'm a desk jockey. Um, <laughs> they, they won't let me out these days. I'm too expensive to to, to be be allowed to put a hard hat on. So, uh, you know, yeah, be able to... I've, I've shed my PTS. I'm back to Blue Hat now because yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, out on same here. I lost the... mine a couple yeah, of years right. ago. Sad times. Um, yeah, these are. I'm familiar with all these structures from a mixture of working on middle main electrification many, many years ago, uh, and also mm-hmm. working on the the track designs through some of these as well. So it's it's quite nice to see these. Um, mm. Look at this, and then you've got the you know, the masts, so the, the the kind of the, the horizontal bit, the vertical. Uh, so so the the there are so the. That's a fantastic one. Yeah, that's awesome. Is that a? I know. Is that a mono boom? No, it's not. It isn't. No, no, no. That's just that's an ordinary pool. It's, it's an just ordinary. an ordinary through running pool. But it's still, you know, to do a lift, uh, to do a lift like that, and to do it with a single crane as well. And they do do twin, but they do do bigger versions of that lift where they have to use two cranes, a tandem lift. Mm-hmm. And you know, anybody who operates or 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 drives a crane will tell you that <clears throat> a tandem lift is not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Look at this. But yeah, these pictures are always. I, I just find these. So, so I should have got the video up actually. So, a lot of the small parts steel are getting put up on the uh, Colton Junction to. Yeah, and no, I saw Fenton, your video the nice. other day. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the wires aren't up, but the small parts steel are up, and it's just it's, mm. it's interesting. They have done it as it's very much been a production line. It's been quite pleasing to see it happening. I, mm. My guess is it won't be a particularly expensive bit of OLE because it it seems quite. There's not too much in the way of big old complicated structures. And it yeah. all seems to have gone up. There aren't, there weren't any obvious refusals along it. It just sort of seems to have mm. happened quietly without any. Which is great. It, it, that that shows you that you know they're getting it right, which is really really important. Yeah. And it's also you know 
that's that's part of TRU and it's the, it's the first bit of electrification they've done and you always want to pick a boring bit yes. to do first don't you know don't try and wire you know BR Euston you look at West Coast Mainline they didn't start at Euston they started in style on the outskirts yeah. of Manchester <laughs> you know that's where you start you start at a boring Get out of the way bit speed. of railway where there's nothing in particular happening and then you learn because all, all team you know Gareth right? you pull a team together for a project it's always a new team there may be people with experience in it, but the team itself is new and they, it takes time to gel and time to get the processes really efficient. So, yeah, start somewhere dull and uninteresting uh, and work up from there. Absolutely. And there we go. So the main wiring, you've got stuff at the t- got some nice yeah. images making the point about uh, here's some issues, some kinking in plain wire and cutting into it. So there's, there's all sorts of things going on here. There's a, there's a nice shot looking down the, the OLE there, lovely. Uh, some more kit. That's a pretty hefty lump of kit there. Yeah, right? this is this amazing machine. There's the Zek machine. Yeah, um, what, what, there, there's used to be, so I, I like this because I've got there's a very vivid picture I have from the from what will be probably like 1973 or 1972 mm. of wires going up over uh, Beatick, and there's a and, it, and it's a it's a wiring train just like this with with looms yeah. of, of 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 the of the cable of the wire. Sorry. Um, the only and, difference and, is they're all walking along flat roof carriages. They're walking along flat roof with carriages. With no harnesses. Yeah. It's just like a Mark a... 1 coach that they're basically uh, yeah. walking on top of. It's quite something. Yeah. Um, there we are. Cutting activity. And you can see the detail here, everyone. This is some serious detail. That's another fantastic. Oh, wow. I think that was another Chris Wilson image. You know, bringing a whole substation in. Whole substation building in on the back of a low loader. So again, off-site yeah. construction. So you get all, yeah. all the fiddly stuff is done in the factory, yeah. nice hermetically sealed. And they, they just bring it out in one piece, plug it in at the back. Fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, Gordon. I know it's a little more complicated than that. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, Gordon will be fuming now. Sorry, Gordon. <laughs> and then that's not the end of the story because the physical stuff might have all appeared, but it's not working yet. No. And so you've got another section, Section 20, Testing, Commissioning and Entry into Service. Which Yeah. Uh, uh, and this... The key word there, if you go just back back to previous page, so the complexity, I'll read this out because it is so important mm, that it. everybody misses it. Every recent electrification project has made this mistake. The complexity and pl- the, the tests involved, themselves involve use of complex and sensitive specialist instrumentation, some of which must be installed on a test train. The complexity of planning and executing test trains on an operational railway should also not be underestimated. And the testing and commissioning process is usually overseen by a separate specialist TNC team. That's something we need to learn to get good at again. The problem is we've done it so little of it that you can't keep that team busy yep. all the time. So they disband. You know how it works in our industry. If if people aren't busy, people won't pay for them and they just get disbanded. We've got Somehow we've got to get back to having a rolling program of electrification testing so that you can have a team who just roll from job to job to job. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've watched people do it. I've never done it, I've, but I've watched people who do do it, and it's the most complicated job I've ever seen. Just, you know, to run a to run a, a high speed train in traffic between passenger between scheduled passenger services on on a on a test regime. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's up. It is the. I mean, yeah, the the, the underestimation of, of testing and getting the kit. But yeah, when it comes to testing commissioners, that's a. So I moved. In fact, the, the flat, the house share that I moved into York with, which included my now wife Dina, we we moved into this house share and, um, uh, Rob Medley shout out signalling TNC as well as a P, a PE at the time for Network Rail. I'm sure he's much. He's even higher up now. He was brilliant at the time. I'm sure. Um, 
he used to just get a blank check written for uh, for going down onto LUL and doing testing commissioning over Christmas. Basically, it's like five figure check written because there are so few of them. And I dare say mm. it's the same for for mm. Willie. So few of the apps they're like listed. That when you do risk assessments, when we're doing early design stuff, even like in early stages of design. You you have like risk assessments about like that resource, you know, like the critical yeah. resources. Well, have you got the Kirov crane? Have we got a T have we got a testing? TIC, yeah, yeah. And it's like they're plotted out and planned out. It's incredible. And that's what we don't and that's what we haven't done on electrification. We need it needs to be that. It needs to be at the level of a, te- a signaling tester in charge. Yeah. You know, that that the, the understanding that that resource is critical and scarce. Yeah. And and will not just turn up at the drop of a hat. If you realise three months before you're, you're entering the service date that you need a team, you've left it far too late. And it's, you, you know, that, that stuff needs to be being planned two, three years out. And Gordon makes a very good point. Like Gordon's saying he can count the good uh, TNC engineers on one hand uh, for a Lee and, and he'd still be doing it if it wasn't so bad for family life. This is a key point of having mm. boom and bust is that critical resources like that end up being a very small number and therefore get stretched very thin and the numbers diminish as a result. So if yeah. we had more rolling program, we'd be able to have a more consistent mm. workload. They'd also be cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's you'd have a you know it'd be more accessible, more pleasant work for people. Um, it's yeah, it's it's not a healthy place. Mm. You know, this is one of the, one of the and also you could train people up and therefore spread the load. You know when you know Gareth, whenever you see whenever there's like two people who can do a job, um, it, that's not good. That's never good, and it's not good for them, and it's not good for the industry. If you've got continuous work bank then you can start to say right let's grow this team let's bring in let's bring in some new blood let's train them up you know let's train the next generation of engineers which i know is a theme that you constantly bang on about about. yeah i mean it's these are the bottlenecks i I was right you could write you know treasury could could radically change its mind and write a blank check tomorrow for the railway to do everything it wants to do and we would deliver it about the same speed we are now because the bottleneck is in skilled people it's in the it's Mm. in the they're not being a pipeline of work therefore we can't grow teams you know there are you know, it's improved a little bit recently, but um, electromagnetic compatibility was an example of like a tiny number of people in the UK who could make those analyses. So when something went wrong, um, that meant that other projects were paused while the problem was fixed and everything just freezes, locks to a halt. Um, in Canada, there is one person who does uh, stray current and corrosion management <laughs> uh, and all projects have to wait. It's not for much that. better in the UK, to be fair. It's, you know, these are these are serious problems. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to jump back a little bit to what we were talking about, about about starting with a boring spot, because there's a really nice quote, if I can find it. Where was it? It was really nice. Oh, yeah. Tom Sedgman, form, storm, norm, perform. Yeah. I quite like that. That's quite that's quite yeah. nice. Nice. I'm going to put that on Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a standard. Um, I can't remember where that came from, but it's, it's something that's very big in management circles. Ah. It's, it's worth looking up, because what you'll immediately realize, Gareth, when you start reading about it, you're like, yep, <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that. <laughs> and you, you can then go, where am I on my project right now? So I on the projects I'm working on right now, which I'm not going to talk to you about, we're just about to storm. We're ju- I, can f- I can feel it in the air. We're just reaching that point where, you know, a number of things are going to hit the wall and there's going to be some heated discussions, yeah. uh, but we'll be better at the end of it because you've got to get through that step of the job. That's so, exactly uh, where my current new projects are at because <laughs> of a variety of, of challenges. But actually, all all precisely what we've been, what we've been talking about, about <clears throat> skills shortages. But anyway, right, that's mm. by the by. So, Testing Commission yeah. Entry Service. So, again, fantastic pages. I'm conscious of time. 2016. I'm sorry, Gary. We've stolen 16 extra minutes from you. Uh, no, testing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, so it's dynamic testing here. See, um, oh, this is interesting because this is, relates to what you talked about last time about some of the some of the analysis that Atkins have yeah, been doing. Yeah, so this is your contact force measurement acceleration of this process a bit, which mm. is really good. Um, oh, here's a yeah. good one. We, we, as so built. cross over into well, there's your problem podcast <laughs> uh, territory. The as built. Do your as built properly because you make everyone's life a lot easier. When I come along ten years later particularly now that we've decided not to do gauge enhancement as part of electrification anymore. That's that's your lot's fault. For yeah, we're not. You can, spend, you can spend your own money on your own projects, uh, Gareth. We're not, we're not funding that stuff anymore, now that, sorry. Now that that's been pulled out of electrification projects, I come back 10 years later to put W12 in, and, it, and if the as-builds are rubbish, it's really hard work for me to then work out what I'm doing to then get gauge, to then work out whether the stuff was put in properly to start with, and then to mm. manage to... So, but likewise, you know, across all disciplines and across all engineering and construction were dreadful at as-builds, absolutely dreadful at it. We've In the UK, we've been talking since before I joined the industry about BIM and the wonders of holding permanent 3D models of everything with all the intelligence built in. I've yet to see that actually still being a thing anywhere in the rail industry on a long-term basis. Yeah, we might use it through the project lifecycle, but of that actually being held and maintained by the asset manager long-term, uh, pass. I haven't seen evidence. I don't know if GWEP has actually got the BIM models for for the stuff long term as for asset management, but my guess is no. I, I'm guessing that it's, it's reasonably easy to get the get hold of the PDFs of the drawings, mm. and that'll be about I it. I think from memory, GWEP was BIM level one, but please don't quote me on that. I'm just so BIM yeah. level one is just there was a common data environment with the with the PDFs in it. Is essentially like and possibly the. Possibly I think the we went. I think we were about BIM one and a half in that case. Ah, so so there are models. there are three D models for the route, um, yeah. but they're not fully detailed. So um... yeah. So um. So anyway, for all the young clever people who watch related to Chris Howe's piece in Rail, actually the last issue or a few issues back from Rail, um, all the clever people who are, who do all sorts of like you know making three D assets for a train simulator and. and tpf2 and whatever we need you to come in and become bim managers and, and not just be the the side thought like the afterthought that projects have oh we've got the the office bim manager who's like an afterthought but start making it into an actual technical discipline um likewise uh, network rail you need a new t you need a new technical discipline i know you've just got rid of rams but you need a ram for data and for asset management there needs to be just one for data because the data is a physical asset that needs to be looked after just as much as the actual stuff that you can kick with your boot. Anyway, right, I digress. Sorry, Gary, I've got, I'll get mm -hmm. off my soapbox and pipe down. <laughs> so I uh, think I think we're almost there. Oh, is that, yeah. So what's the next got, new bit then? Go on. Have that's you... it. That's that's the that's the I think that's the end of the current new bits. Although there is a new new bit that we need to talk about. There isn't is. There? Um, right. So I'm going to gently whiz through. So there's a nice picture of a of a of a. Of the of the flying banana, but Shinkansen style, which is awesome, and I didn't know existed, and now do. Thank you, Gary. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the, and there we are, Appendix A. So we've got the. Oh, what is this? I, I didn't. Was this in the previous version? It was, yeah. Oh, I'd never flicked through that, that bit. I always concentrate on. The no, when he ever reads the appendices, you're the worst engineer, Gareth. You're I... just like the rest of us. Don't read yeah. the appendices. <laughs> well, I, I used to be the person who goes straight to the appendices to find out the fun stuff, but I've oh, okay. since because since I've become more senior and, and run out of time, I've stopped doing just that. I just on, read yeah, the executive yeah. summary and then. Now uh, the good stuff's always in the back. Yeah, I know, right? Anyway, right. There's this is that's the bit of stamp. That's the only bit of stamp collecting I was prepared to admit to. Yeah. Oh, that's the the, the classic Blackpool diamond. Anyway, right. Yeah. So that's the. Shout out to Charlie for that. Getting the last word in the in Graham, the book. Graham Graham Harris was talking about um, 
uh, about chemistry. So there you are, Graham. You've got some chemistry up on screen and admittedly very few pixels for the mm. people who are in HD 4K YouTube can see that. Um, uh, go, Chris, our guest for, for next week is joining, is, is in the chat as well. Yeah, the uh, the Japanese NMT. Anyway, right, that is all the, the table of figures. And, and there there we are, reached three, page 338 at the end of the book. Um, so, new section. Here is... Yes. So, yeah, let's talk about this. So, um, there's one section of the sixth edition that isn't in the PDF. And it's the reason it's not in the PDF is that the old familiar... I ran out of time. Yeah. Um, to be fair, the reason I ran out of time is not just because I didn't have the time. It was because I didn't have the knowledge. So this section is about how electric trains work. So it seems uh, overhead over line engineers are a bit of a nightmare because they spend their whole lives designing and building this power system, but they have no idea how the load works. <laughs> most, most infrastructure engineers couldn't even explain the basics of how an electric train works. Uh, what's inside it, how it, all, how it all hangs together and how, how, the, how that electrical energy is turned into forward motion. So I, I wanted to write that, but um, I, I was one of those engineers and to a large extent I still am. I, I you know, had absolutely no idea. So I spent a bit of time over the summer. No, actually, no, I started writing it back at Christmas. I got as far as I could with it. And what I then, you know, I then needed to find somebody who actually knew what they were talking about to proofread it and tear it to pieces and i really struggled to find somebody um uh, and it was only in july when i found the right person a very helpful chap who works for a large train manufacturer that will remain nameless um and he, he agreed to help but that july you know by july i was i was adamant that it had to be published in august so um it didn't make the cut um i'm glad to say though that we've made progress on it since then and i'm now how, how certain am I prepared to be? I'd say I'm 80% certain that this ah. new section will appear in the print edition. Ooh, there's your right. incentive for, for getting the print yes. edition, folks. Yes. Um, I 80%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm completely sure 80% of the time that it's going to be in the print. Uh, no, there's a, I mean, there's a few... Uh, uh, Tom's got the latest draft. There's a, there's about three or four things I need to clarify with him. Uh, uh, I need to find a picture of a mercury art rectifier, and then I think it's finished. So uh, that's the reason I can be pretty confident now. So, so yes, yeah, yeah, so, and this is, I mean, it, this is literally the live draft. So please don't pay any attention to any of the words on the page. Don't write anything down. You'll see if you go back up. You'll see I've got two pictures. So good, I put it in twice. Oh yeah, holding pattern. That's because nice. I'm. It's a that's a holding uh, holding image because I need to find a, a naked mercury art rectifier okay. to put on on the right there. But um, yeah, it, it's Is that really Nick's just. Picture? Uh, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's the one that Nick shared with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's an attempt to try and, and it's largely electrical engineering, not completely, but mostly mm. it's electrical engineering. Um, but it, it's how the it's how those electrons get from the pantograph to the motor and then back out again, and how they're controlled. And it's the control element that really Ooh. is the stuff that will bend your that will bend your noodle. You know how um, how how gate turn off thyristors work. Uh, how insulated gate bipolar transistors work, um, how AC uh, three-phase AC asynchronous motors work, which is what you see there. Actually, I think that's a DC motor. 
It's I the so I recognise this only because of the ninety ones a DC because of the, physica- because of the, the chonkiness of yeah, the uh, yeah. of the vehicle. Because I think ninety ones were the last DC traction. It's bizarre. People are probably thinking, "What the hell's he talking about?" Ninety ones <laughs> aren't DC. No, they're not. They're not supplied with DC, but the motors are DC. Um, it's weird. We we we've got overhead line systems that are AC that then supply DC motors. We've got DC overhead line systems that supply AC motors. Um, it's surprising the number of different ways you can you can actually do that. Um, Tim, so this section is attempting is, to, to Tim. Tim, yes, if go you've on. got photos, he's asking if we want a picture. Yeah, if you've got photos that you're willing to share that are in decent quality, then uh, email Gary. There'll be a contact email on uh, on yes, OCS for Rail, I'd imagine. Um, so yeah, yeah Gary thanks, Gary at gmail dot com. And remember, there's two R's in Gary. Yes. Now, any you know anything like that will be gratefully received whether or not it will get used in the book. Obviously I, I have to sift through and, but um, uh, the, the more, the more images I have, the more choice I have and the better the outcome for the book. So thank you. Ed Fielden uh, as, as an interesting point to make. My uh, grandfather was an electrical draftsman at uh, Metrovic in the 1950s designed the M1 traction motors. I think this new section wow. would be very interesting to me. Yeah. So that if I, I think I'm right in saying the EM ones, the, they're the, the ones that used to run on the woodhead. They will have been using. If you go, if you go towards the front of the section, keep going. That's it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So if you come back to this area, so that will have been DC series motors uh, controlled using contactors and resistors, which is the proper old school way of doing it. Literally switching, you know, big electrical mechanical switches, switching resistances in and out constantly um, to to maintain speed and, and keep the keep the torque where you want it. Um, I say it's been a big learning curve for me. I still don't. It's one of those subjects where most of the time I feel I've got a grasp on it, and then occasionally I'll go, "No, I've lost it again." And I ask Tom, "What what do you mean by this? How does this work?" But uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Eichlin, and uh, actually, Chris, I'm going to need to ask you how to pronounce your last name correctly. We'll 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 get there. Is is saying. Uh, the the author of the book that's down here, a very beautiful book that I don't think anyone can see. Oh no, is it? It is actually in short. I'm going to go briefly. Big face. There, there. You can see it behind my plant. It says railways on the spine. Very beautiful. Oh yes. Uh, a history and drawings, which we're going to be mm. talking about next week. We'll get there. But um, uh, Chris says uh, you should try the GEC collection for drawings. Uh, having sifted through these uh, archives in great detail, I can imagine they're they're incredible. Yeah. Uh, how trains, how electric trains work, and ultimately, actually, because a lot of these these electric motors were inside diesel you know diesel trains as well so all this stuff mm. it's a no a lot a lot of what i'm writing in fact I've, I've constantly found myself drifting into two things have been happening one is i start talking about third fourth rail emus yeah. and i have to pull myself back because you know we can't be going there i'm not having that no. <laughs> sorry steve <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we i know we joke we, we play games online and i I, I pretend like I hate the third rail and he pretends like he hates Oerly. And, and the truth is it's just electrification at the end of the day and electrification is a good thing. So, But, um, yeah, I found myself occasionally drifting into – in fact, some of these pictures are actually uh, – I'll hold my hand up now. That picture there, the, the one you just had there, is from a 4VP, oh, yeah. which is absolutely not an overhead line no. EMU. But it's they all work the same. That's the thing. At the control and traction motor level – 
the function that function of it is identical. The um, uh, the thing I found interesting, I was chatting to Helen Simpson of Porterbrook, uh, the engineering powerhouse that is uh, Helen, uh, talking about the way they're having to change control systems for hydrogen trains because of the way that hydrogen, mm. the way that those power cells put, you know, the, 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 they just keep putting power out, don't they? You, the can't, power, you can't switch yeah, them off. You have to manage. Yeah. So, so managing yeah. that power output and also managing the making sure that the power applies as quickly as the driver wants it and then comes off mm. as quickly as the driver wants it is quite challenging. So that's been, that was really, so that was, I very, very rapidly found myself. It's a bit like when they tried experiment with turbine locos in the, in the fifties, isn't it? And they're very similar. You don't, you know, a turbine, you just spin it up and then it's got to keep running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the difference is at least a turbine, you can disconnect it so that it's not, uh, so that it's not producing electrons. Whereas yeah. a fuel cell just produces electrons yeah. all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, where do you put them? If you're not using them, where do you put them? So, um, ah, there we go. So, uh, tilting pan photo. Uh, is yeah, which I have added. now. I got one today. Oh, excellent. Um, Good. At New Street on my way back from Derby. Nice. So, uh, there's some nice stuff there about intercarriage 25 kV. Oh, if only they'd APT, man, you know, if only we'd <laughs> accepted that these were fine. Um, Tom Tom kept asking me about, are you going to put something in about APT? Uh, no, I don't want to go there. I can't go there. Go there. That's there's, another book. It's another book. Yeah, absolutely. So that is that's the section. That's an exclusive yeah. look at an unpublished section. Very very exciting. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go back to our, our large faces now, actually, because not only is it very late, um, but also we have to say, um, Gary, thanks for that. Uh, we uh, there are more plugs to do though. Uh, Ashley, what what any any more questions from the folks in the back? Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Guy 16 saying photo photon induct photonic induction youtube channel has at least one mercury arc rectifier in his house oh very nice um looking forward to the physical book good matt reed is asking uh are how the thameslink trains work uh oh yeah querying how thameslink trains work and how that how, how thameslink trains work given that they have both stuff coming in the bottom and mm. stuff coming in the top and you've just now i've just realized so whenever i say i think i've finished and then somebody asks a question like this and then i go oh god i haven't mentioned your voltage stock um broadly speaking you get everything down to the dc link it will all be in the book it'll all um, be in the book there we go once you get to these beyond the dc link the beauty of the dc link is it's one it's like a common element it's like a so you can feed in from 25 kv ac single phase get it down to dc or you can come off the third rail and in which case it's DC already. Mm. And then you common everything to DC. And then after that, you can then all of your, you can then, you then invert it to three phase AC, which then feeds the traction motors. So the Thameslink trains, even when they're on third rail, the motors are using three phase AC, which is a very strange concept for people who aren't electrical engineers to get their head around. But uh, hopefully I explain it in the book. So there we go. We've we've not uh, don't worry. We're, we're not we're not finished quite yet. But uh, people are saying thank you. Uh, thank saying that it's a fabulous natter and thanks, Gary, and your gentle Wiltshire twang. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear I still got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad people are enjoying this, uh, Arthur. Yeah, looking forward to getting uh, your own copy. Absolutely, you deserve it. Um, right, I'm going to put Absolutely. our miniaturized faces back because I was clever, and in fact, I'm going to get rid of our faces entirely and just have the full screen because I put in slides so we can properly plug two things. Number one, uh, OCS4Rail.com. Uh, tell us what happens on there, Gary. Uh, so this is the website where you can do a couple of things. You can, first of all, get the, the free download, the PDF. So just click on the little green button mark, get the book, and you get your download, and uh, off you go. So that's the most important thing on that site. Uh, the other thing is over on the right, 
if you sign up to our mailing list, then you will find out uh, before everybody else uh, when something new is coming out or when we're doing a print run or if we're updating the PDF. Um, I, we won't spam you. I don't. It's not something I use uh, every week or even every month. But uh, when something important happens, you'll get to find out about it. Yeah, it's not very spammy. I'm I'm, I'm subscribed, and you 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 don't you send an email once in a blue moon, which is good because mm. uh, it means I notice them. Um, yeah, and also I think it's worth pointing out. So, the fourth edition was downloaded just under nine. Uh, sorry, eight thousand times. The fifth edition was downloaded just under mm. forty thousand times, and the. Uh, the latest uh, edition, which has only been out for a short while, has been downloaded over 50,000 times. No, so that's that's a cumulative total. So it's actually twelve, uh, about 12,000 at the moment. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but it's oh, only that's... been out two months, so... Oh, yeah. well, the stat, the statistician in me is angry at you for the, for the... I know, I know. But I'm trying to inflate it, you see. You've got to inflate the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beef the numbers. Oh, that nobody's downloaded it. It's a huge disappointment. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's incredible that your book has been downloaded over 50,000 times is pretty spectacular that's a lot of people having downloaded yeah that's i mean it probably isn't 50,000 people i presume that that's no some i'm sure people go people oh i can't remember where i put it i'll yeah. download a fresh one but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's all it's all me downloading it, it, it averages about 50 a day tends to be 30 to 50 downloads a day which is it's nice because it means people are using it and that's all that really matters absolutely, to me absolutely yeah people are using and, then, it. and then the next thing i'm going to jump over to is um is the Kickstarter, which yes. people can find the link to the Kickstarter on OCS for Railright, but also I've linked it in the description. It's a very straightforward link. So it's in the description of this video. Um, and you can see that you've got 188 backers. You've yeah. uh, which blown equates your... to about 100 and... I think we must we must be around about a 200 bookmark because some backers have obviously ordered more than one copy. Okay, yeah. um, so I think we must be at just about hitting the 200 orders now. I've not uh, actually, which is I've nice not for a niche my... for a niche book that's you know I do appreciate that you know forty eight pounds not an insubstantial amount of money to pay for a book either, so uh, it's you know I want to thank everybody who's ordered a book everybody's going to order a book you know it really means a lot, um, well I think... and, and it's nice that I can have my cake and eat it by giving the knowledge away for free but um, still able to sell a physical copy of it yeah yeah I did I I was imp- I was amazed when the first print edition went out that it was so it was picked up so keenly but then i don't know i don't know why i should have been amazed because frankly gary and I, and I said this last time i think i said this last time about railways archive but this time i'm going to say about the ole book it's an incredible resource it is an incredible resource um and the amount of work you put into it is appreciated by a lot of people there are a lot of people here uh in the chat right now saying that it is uh that it's an incredibly useful resource that they, they really value it um the other thing I have to say is uh, you need to use the hashtag OLE book hashtag more often when you're talking about it. Cause, uh, I know, I know. I, know, I keep, I'm I keep going in and hoping to find forget. tidbits. <laughs> um, anyway, right. Well, I think it's very interesting is that you've got you, you've said you had a £4,200 goal and you've mm. um, more than doubled that with nearly 9400 yeah, yeah. So that's that's quite spectacular. Yeah. And, and I think so it represents the, how much people value it. But the key message is, because I know I, I can think of at least one person out there who keeps saying, I must remember to go and order my copy. You now have eight days left to order your eight copy. Days. Once that Kickstarter shuts, we will not be taking any further orders. Um, so if you're one of those people who wants a copy but is just always a bit too busy to go on the site, uh, pull your finger out and get on the site. Yeah. <laughs> because I always, I mean, last time I had for about three months afterwards, I had a drip, drip, drip of emails of people going, 
I just heard about the book. Can I can I order a copy? Is there a where's oh, the man, you know so... where's the where's where's the online shop that I can order from? Yeah. So um, obviously I had to disappoint those people because the way printing a book works is it's all about volume. Mm. Um, I can't I can't go to my printer and order five copies of this book. Um, their minimum order quantity is fifty, but that. Uh, uh, if I order 50, the unit price is eye-watering. Yeah. If I order 200, the unit price goes down quite steeply. Yeah. So it's a volume business, which is why it's why we use Kickstarter. And, and the Kickstarter works really well because it allows me to gauge how many people want a book before I order the print run. And that way I haven't got hundreds of copies of my own book sitting around at home. Waiting getting to be me down, <laughs> yeah. getting under my Getting under Claire's feet and driving her crazy. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, eight days to go. If you were wanting to order, now would be a really good time to do it. Go and order. Go and order the book. Yeah. I now need to go and check whether I have, because, yes, I do want yes, to have uh, it. It's such a beautiful... I mean, Art I has done such a have. fantastic job. I desperately want the to have the new version, because much as I... Mm. Like, so I've designed the first cover for because I'm I'm a graphic-y person so the first bloody thing I did when I was deciding whether it was a good idea mm. or not was I did the cover for a PUA book and much as I think I'm alright at it nah, it's good to get a yeah. professional in and Art has well, done an absolutely wonderful job well, it looks great so it's reaching over oh, wait a so go if you go fix. back to the big screen yeah, as, you, as you can see I am very much not a graphic designer that was my effort for the 5th edition and it's fine Hang but on, it's I'm fine going the wrong way yeah yeah it's, yeah but it's not it's you know it's not going to win any design awards. Um, so I was really pleased to get Arters in uh, to do the, the, this version, and, and they've done a really, really good job. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it in the flesh as well. That's, that's the best part. I haven't seen it. Nobody's seen it yet, including it's, me. Yeah, it's exciting. It's very exciting. And I'm, and I'm not doing a proof copy this time either, which is the really scary bit. Oh, so there's no pagey flippy bit. Oh. Before I – what I did, what we did with the fifth edition, we ordered 50 copies and we and I, I just put my own money into into that. Um, but we, I know what the process is now. I know what the printer's going to want from me. I know how we know how to, you know, Artis and I have actually managed to get the the cover the correct size. And I've already run it through the printer, and they've said, yeah, it's fine. You've got the dimensioning right, and the spines are right because, of course, the spine width has to match the page count. Yeah. And it's yeah. So that the first time round, I got it wrong, completely wrong. Um, which is why we needed to do the proof copy. But this time, we've, I'm confident enough that we're just going to go for it. And I, what that means is I have proofread the sixth edition several times. And luckily, I've got a chap now, and I, I forgive me, I can't remember his name, and I don't have my emails up, but uh, there's a wonderful chap who's an ex-railway engineer who's currently going through the book and has already found about six typos. <laughs> so he's just he's just sending them to me as he finds them and then I'm hurriedly correcting them ready for the yeah, yeah, for yeah. the print run. So uh I've said I said I told him he's got two weeks to finish the book because <laughs> I need all the errors by then. So uh so uh, people are asking is there a link to the Kickstarter on ocsforrail.com? There isn't and um uh Gary somebody, is going uh, to uh, fix that. Uh, no, Lewis done. Lewis shout out to Lewis who I met for the first time to Today in Derby, uh, new, okay. new graduate P-Way engineer, actually, in our Derby office. Uh, he pointed out that, that, that fact. So, no, I'm going to go and fix that. It probably explains why people sign up to the mailing list, tick the little box that says, yes, I would buy a copy, and then don't appear on the Kickstarter list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the world's worst salesman. I don't, don't ever hire me to do sales. 
so, I don't know what I'm doing. So we're going to come back to questions uh, at the end, but I'm going to run through my normal sort of post-amble before we do that. Mm. Been, we can have a little chat before we close out and answer some questions. But beforehand, let us go back to not having our faces up on screen. Um, to all the audio-only people, thank you very much. Uh, you'll be listening to this in quite a few weeks because sadly the, the pod is still a bit, it's a bit broken it's a bit broken at the moment uh, still, so it will be fixed. But uh, having a full-time job um, and also relying on people's goodwill means that I don't want to exploit people's goodwill. And then it means I have to fix things around my day job. And uh, so uh, this will get fixed, but um, not immediately. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Pay the that... bills first, then have fun. That's yeah, the well, key, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, people, people, yeah. At some point in the distant future, I'll automate it, but I have no idea how to even start doing that. There's always time. Um, the, the the normal plugs. Uh, the Patreon people, thank you so much for supporting. The, the fact we've got to... This is the 81st episode, even though it's episode 80, um, is because of the support that the Patreon people provide me, that you give me... Uh, so you, you let me know when things don't work, but more, but you provide support and, and advice. You make suggestions for future episodes. You propose guests. You... Um, you get asked a huge number of inane questions by me, and you do get goodies every now and then. Um, I've, I've scooped up a huge number of pin badges from the, the Transport for the North conference. Don't tell anyone at Transport for the North this. Um, and I, in some way, I'm going to distribute them to people in the page, in, in, who are Patreon supporters. I've no idea how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it somehow. Anyway, um, the Discord server is where all this stuff happens, but more and longer and relentlessly. And uh, it's, like the, it's like the YouTube chat, but more. Uh, so that's uh, so that's garethdennis.co.uk slash discord. The Patreon is patreon.com slash garethdennis. And you can chuck pennies at me if you think that's a hilarious thing to do uh, via paypal.me slash garethdennis. Uh, thanks all for those things. Um, plugs. Ah, right, yes. Yeah. So before we get back to Gary and, and ask questions, Gary, you do have a plug, and it's a good mm. plug because behind me is lots of PWI literature, Permanent Way Institution literature. I am a, a, a proud member of the Permanent Way Institution. In fact, if I very briefly go to my big face here, just me, uh, all behind me on this column here is all PWI journals going back to when they started doing it in blue back in goodness knows when that was in the 60s or possibly even earlier than that. So I have all the PWI journals there behind wow. me. Very proud of that. Um, so yes, I'm going to go back to no face. PWI, Gary, you wanted to do this plug though. So tell me why yes. particularly you as an OLE engineer are plugging the yeah. permanent way institution. People are probably thinking, what the hell's going on? Um, why, why would a track institution... Uh, what's that got to do with electrification? Well, the, the first thing, the first mis, no, mis, misunderstanding is correct is that the PWI is not a track institution. The constitution of the PWI states that it deals with railway infrastructure between the fence lines. And Absolutely. you can handily see one of the fence lines over there on the right. Mm. The uh, the other one's somewhere there under the bushes, probably. Yeah. Um, the, the PWI is and always has been a fixed infrastructure focused institution. Um, and that's that. It hasn't changed its constitution. That's what it, it was from the the moment it was uh, became the PWI. Um, but what has happened over the last, I'd say, three years, and is now accelerating, is that the PWI is is spending more time focusing as well. It's not going to stop focusing on track, but it's now uh, becoming the natural home for overhead line engineers and electrification engineers. We don't really have a home. Mm. We don't have a natural institution that, that looks after our, you know, that supports our goals and our aims to get more electrification out and to make it cheaper and better and, and to share best practice. We don't have a we don't have a, a PWI in the way that track engineers have for the last, you know, however many decades. 
Um, but I'm really pleased to see that the PWI are now really focusing and, and you know, and going to expand their offer to include electrification in a really active way. And that's been happening. I mean, I've been writing myself, some of my colleagues have written some of those journals. Gareth, you'll see articles by me, Paul Hooper, Peter Dearman, um, uh, who is now on the board of the PWI. Peter is an extremely senior and respected electrification engineer, as well as a track engineer, actually. He's, he's done both. Yeah. Um, so um, the PWI getting very, very serious about electrification now. Um, there's now a, there's now an electrification committee within the PWI, which has, um, which has support from the board. Uh, and our role is going to be to look at how do we actually support, how do we make that real? How do we... Um, how do we create that electrification offer? Uh, we've we've already started, but we've got a lot more to do. Um, the other thing is, Peter, we now offer an electrification diploma. Did you know that? I didn't actually. You can so do I've a been, diploma in a, in a in yeah, electrification. Yeah, yeah and that's nice. been run by, you know, some some very experienced uh, retired, semi-retired over at line engineers at the moment. Um, it ran for the first time this summer. I understand it was very successful, and it's you know, and we're gonna that that. Again, that's going to be expanded. Um, we're, we're thinking about how, how do we eventually get to third and fourth rail because that's just as important as overhead line, um, despite what I might tell people on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, and my message for people in the in the OLE space in particular now is is join the PWI. Yep. Um, join, get stuck in, um, help us to tell us what you want, what you want to see. Um, we're you know we're running, we've got a conference coming up. Uh, next year on electrification um i think we've actually got one next month i think, I think there's there one is... on cost reduction next month isn't there Dang, i should have put that on um, that was a mistake which i'm signed up for yeah. um so yeah you know we we need that home we need that focus and we don't get it the big institutions that people traditionally join if you're in my game um they they do what they do but they don't really focus on railway electrification um other than a couple of set piece courses that the IET run, um, so you know the PWI. The beauty with PWI is it's smaller, and small is beautiful um, because they're small. They can focus on on exactly what we want. We're a lean, uh, rather... lean infrastructure machine. Now I'm very proud yeah, of the PWI yeah. and how it's evolved under its previous uh, CEO and the president's under under mm. its previous leadership, and then now with uh, with its new yeah. leadership going forward, it really is. Uh, yeah. Going from strength to strength, very, very proud of the organisation, what it's becoming, uh, and it's, it's you know, focus on skills, the focus on chartership, you know, the fact that the PWI can now, uh, yeah. uh, for quite a they while do. now actually, can award chartership uh, in yeah. a way that they offer Eng Tech, uh, Eng and C Eng, um, and one of the interesting challenges has been as as we're now starting to see people from electrification background coming through those routes, mm. uh, which has meant that we need to the PWI needs to have reviewers with that electrification experience and and I've got involved with that and some a couple, some of my colleagues have as well so we don't just need uh we don't just need young people who are training to to get stuck in with a PWI we also need uh, the the older more senior experienced people to help so if you're a, if you're a, a senior engineer in the electrification space uh we need your help yeah. on that side um and uh and yeah, and the PWI is a really good institution. So um, and it's cheap. come and help. It's cheaper than and it's things, cheap. It? it is eighty eighty something pound a year. Yeah. Uh, and if you're a student, it's free, which I didn't know until about a week ago. Which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's um, true. Yeah, free, um, free stuff. And you get the journal. You know, you get you actually get something that's got interesting stuff in it. And I, 
you know, and I'll, I'll learn a bit about Pandrol Clips and Gareth, you'll learn a bit about Contact Wire and we'll exactly. all come out a bit better. Lin Manfu, perhaps we could say that the PWI has seen the potential in an influx of electrical uh. engineers. There we go. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, <laughs> on which note, I shall plug the fact that uh, Chris, uh, this is, I haven't, I should have done this before. I'm ever so sorry. Is it Valkoinen? Chris Val, Chris Valkonen, possibly. I embarrassingly should have asked Chris how to pronounce his, his last name. I'm sorry, Chris. Christopher is joining us next week. Episode 81, the 82nd episode. The very long and very beautiful history of technical drawing. I am incredibly excited about this episode. Um, we're going to plug his stunning book because it is very, 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 very lovely and beautiful and has an incredible amount of technical drawing in it. Lots of technical drawing. of It's not just trains. I'm pleased to say lots of infrastructure in there, lots of architecture. It's fantastic. Um, but that's next week, so one not to miss. It shall be fantastic. Uh, we're going to get back, back our two little faces here. Gary, you're back and slightly out of focus somehow. Yeah, uh, my camera. Just give it a wave. It gets a bit confused sometimes. When you're waving your hand in front of it, it doesn't help, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh... all those, so all those questions that have been flying in. So I'm going to get right, right up here. So oh, uh, Chris actually asked a question, So, yeah, uh, and quite a good question. Chris always wanted to know how the amount of power a train uses is determined and how that then gets billed to the operator. Does it even happen that way? Mm. I mean, I, it is, I think answers, it is please. beginning to happen. Um, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, it, what I would have said is that um, there is an extremely complex formula by which network rail attempts to allocate electrons to individual trains, but without using an electricity meter. So it, it used to be a fudge. It used to be a, a, a bit like track access charges, you know, yeah. which is a, an extremely clumsy attempt to allocate wear and tear to individual trains. Um, that's never going to be a remotely exact science, is it? So that's how they used to do it. I believe they're now, certainly the, um, the current UK group standards insist that all new electric trains have an electricity meter on board. Ah. And I believe they are moving towards the ability to remotely uh, interrogate those meters. So it's heading in that direction. I'm not sure if they've got there yet. I don't think they are fully there yet. Um, but it's 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 definitely coming. It's it's going that down that route. That's very interesting. Uh, Tom Sedgman asks, uh, and again we'll we'll keep this because we've run for an hour and fifty minutes. I'm so sorry, everyone. It's a long one again. Oh well, he always ends up going long. Um, yeah, it's because we can talk. Classic it's because we, have, we haven't met at the pub for ages, and this is kind of a bit of our catharsis mm. of like having a bit of a catch up. Although it's we do end up talking a lot about this stuff actually in our pub chats depressingly anyway right uh, earlier you were talking about our tra- sorry tom i've got distracted mid-question um earlier you were talking about our trains not working in europe is there not an iso or a bsen covering signaling etc um, there is a well there's a thing called the te- technical standards for interoperability um which we no longer have to comply with because we're no longer in the eu Yes, I think you know my views on that as well. <laughs> um, but essentially, they've been trans- they, they've literally been copied and pasted into UK law at the moment, and they're now called the NTSNs. The, and everybody says, well, if you just comply, comply with the TSIs, comply with the NTSNs, they sh- everything should work together. The, the, the reality is that the TSIs are an amalgamation of they are, they are an amalgamated description of how European railways work. They they were written after the railways were built, so they to a large extent describe not how an ideal 
standard railway should work, but they describe how the actual railways that we actually have do work. And clearly they don't all work in the same way. A French, you know, the, the French, German, uh, you know, Italian OLE systems don't all work in the same way. They don't all have the same contact force profile. Um, so there is an inevitably when you try and write standards across so many countries, there are compromises. But also the way I try and describe the TSI is like a box, right? You got to be your system has to be somewhere inside the box, right? So as long as you're inside the box, but you can be over here in the top left corner of the box or, or the bottom right hand corner of the box and still be compliant. But they're not all going to work in the same way. It's, it's a frame. It's a framework, not a definitive set of standards. It's like a cut. Yeah, there were, I, I, an analogy I use is it's like a it's like a coloring in by numbers book. The TSIs are just the list of numbers. It's mm. Like it's not you don't even really know what the picture looks like. Mm. It's just it's very much like a good example. Nominal contact wire height. Right. Is if, if it's if you're an open route, and there isn't a bridge and there isn't a level crossing. The nominal contact wire is the single value of height that you put the wire at. In the UK, it's 4.7 meters. The TSI says uh, the nominal contact, there should be a nominal contact wire height, and it should be somewhere between 4 point something and 5 point something. It does not define nominal contact wire height, because how could it? Because every every country in Europe has a different nominal contact wire height. So. Yeah. Indeed. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, we could go on about TSIs for, for a very long time. Yeah, that's For all not. sorts of reasons. Uh, yes. Yeah, lots of people being unhappy about the... Uh, about the EU, yes, I know. I did a big thumbs up for the audio-only people. Uh, Michael C., no, ETCS isn't the only thing that means that trains could work. No, no, there's all sorts of things about compatibility and, and how much buzziness the train yeah. causes in all this Immunization stuff. Immunisation is a big, big issue. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's much more to it than that, I'm afraid. Um, Gordon says he misses the pub. Yeah, me too, Gordon. Um, right, <laughs> Gary, right, we've quite enough. I've taken up quite enough of your evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots can I do two more, oh, can do I plugs? Do two more yes. little plugs? One is, if you enjoy the PDF... If if you if you bought a print copy of the book, ignore what I'm about to say because you've already you've already given up some of your hard-earned money. But if you enjoy the PDF and you can afford it, um, there is a charity link on on the website to the railway children. So we're we're raising money for the railway children. So uh, please do if you if you can put your hand in your pocket. I would really appreciate it. You know railway children do do an amazing job. So. Um, the second one is just some thank yous. Thank you to everybody who helped me write the book. You know who you are. The full list is in the book. I'm not going to I'm going to spare you reading out all the names, Gareth, because uh, it's very late. But if, if you helped in any way with the book, thank you very much. Thank you to everyone at Atkins who puts up with my bullshit day in, day out and indulges me. Um, uh, uh, but special thanks to Peter Dimon for writing the foreword, Arthur's doing the cover and for Simon Warren, who once again, checked a 350 page proof of the book without complaining once that's it thank you no thank you and thank you gary there's a lot of love uh, in the chat right now that's been a it's been a really nice really nice episode once again people just enjoying us having a, a sort of a, a nice quiet chat about electrification and things that that get us excited about rail infrastructure so no that's great mm. thanks so much gary uh, thank you all for listening watching uh, joining us and chatting away in the chat chat has been fantastic as ever um We'll see you next time. Uh, and it only really remains for Gary and I to sort of wave frantically and say cheerio. Cheerio, everyone. Cheerio. Bye. Cheerio. Oh, hand over here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>